you probably know this. Those guys? You probably know Welcome to the podcast. This is that's Jeremy. I'm Jason. We are Hello. talking about uh, Metallica this week, the first of an undetermined number of episodes. Um, at least, at least three, probably four. All right. Uh, how are we going to divide I think, that? Yeah. I think we're going to divide that up at least for this episode. What, what are we going to do? What are we going to talk about here? This is this has got to be just the early days. This is um, from basically everything from the beginning up unto the Black Album, but not through the Black Album. Okay, okay. So we'll we'll do that. We'll do that uh, next time. This will be just um, the you know basically the eighties. So fair game to talk about the recording session up until the album's release, but not the album itself. Um, yeah, although it seems, um, seems like those two things go hand in hand. <laughs> I think so too. Just trying to, so work the math maybe, here. maybe we don't want to do that, but, um, <laughs> okay. you know, okay. Just see where the night takes us, man. Yeah. Let's just, <laughs> sounds let's great. just see what happens. That sounds great. I'm open so this, to whatever. I don't was, care. This was kind of both on our list, which I think is a, maybe a first for us. Do we already do what we both knew about? Yeah. We kind of knew both a little bit. No. Program, but. Yeah, we both knew about Pearl Jam, but you definitely, um, I think that was really more your thing. Um, yeah, definitely. Still, more yeah. so than mine, for sure. So, right. this, no, this is the first one where I think there's probably an equal share yeah, and mutual I, I, interest. I, I disagree. I think that I think that you, it sounds like you've done the deep dive, and i got to be honest, I've never done the deep dive on Metallica. But, but Metallica is mm-hmm. one of those bands like the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or Zeppelin or U2, where if you like them or you don't, you know who Bono is and you don't like him for all the reasons that culturally nobody likes him or whatever. It, it's hard to escape Metallica. And it, it's hard to be a music fan yeah. and not be familiar with a lot of the history. Um, uh-huh. Let's start with, uh, yeah. since I mean, th- th- this, is, this is your band, I'm going to say. Because I'm gonna say this is—I really mm-hmm. don't have a lot about them, but uh, I, as as okay. the uh, as the amateur, I'll tell you what my experience with Metallica is. Um, okay. Nineteen ninety. And okay, can I stop you? I'll stop you real quick and say yeah. this is this is good for you to start there because even though this is quote my band, um, you you probably were familiar with and liked this band way before I did because I didn't really get into them until like the 2000s. I did that thing that I do where I wait until a band has been around for so long that there's absolutely no way they could go away. (laughs) And I am positive that they are like here to stay and kind of already legendary before I'm like, all right, I'll give them a shot. Right, right. Well, so uh, my Metallica story is very similar to the Pearl Jam one, right? Where like I remember seeing the Jeremy video. I think we talked about that, like you know, sneaking peeks at MTV in the middle of the night at my grandparents' house or something, and seeing the Jeremy video yeah. and not and being too young, I'm like ten or eleven to really understand like what a band is or who a band is or some of these bands have multiple songs really or whatever, and just being like, well, that's a cool video or whatever. Uh, uh, Metallica is very similar. So I'm I'm like 10 years old or whenever the Black Album came out, a little bit afterward, and I'm at a jukebox at a fucking Pizza Hut. Back in the day when people went to Pizza Hut and had the little Tiffany lamps, and it's like 
Cub Scouts, you know, Little League, something like this. There's 12 little kids with me that were all 10 and 11. And yeah. some of us are flipping with through and fucking with the little jukebox they have. And it's, you know, the same thing that you today can go find in any jukebox. You know, it's the Kenny Rogers greatest hits, Fleetwood Max, uh, Rumors is probably in there. You know, if you see Led Zeppelin, that's pretty cool, but it's mostly like Beach Boys and Beatles. And like you said, Sinatra might be in there. Just whatever, right? And so nothing cool, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and at 10 and 11, I didn't know it was cool anyway, right? And this teenager comes over and is kind of like abruptly, like pushes us out of the way. He's got real money. He's actually put some quarters in and he's flipping through them and he just stops. And he stops on one where it mm-hmm. is like, it looks like there's no artwork, it's just like black. And I'm like, what is his problem? <laughs> I'm looking at the numbers he's pumping in, and he's just pumping in, you know, all of them top to bottom or whatever yeah. for, for this like this, for this, this unknown record. And it says Metallica at the top, and Inner Sandman plays in this fucking Pizza Hut with a bunch of families and stuff. And I remember hearing it and being like, and you know, it was, it was one of those things where it took a few songs to happen. But you know, mm-hmm. you, you got your eyes on that teenager across the place. You're like, what did that guy do? Like that, that kid was yeah. too cool. It's like grandma going up there and doing stuff. And then this kid is like out of my <laughs> way. Right. And so I remember hearing that and it was very similar to the Pearl Jam thing where it was just like, I didn't know who that band was. It was a really cool song. And years later, you know, like three or four years later, I remember I asked my parents for two CDs for Christmas. And one of them was my first Cure CD, which was a new one at the time uh, called um, Wild Mood Swings. Uh, and then, yeah. and then also I asked for load because I had seen or heard the uh, until oh, it that sleeps was, yeah. song. Yeah, and like, and then it yeah. kind of went backwards from there. Where like I, I basically what am and was a black album and load listener, and I know a lot of the hits and definitely have the personal playlist of some stuff off of Reload and some stuff off the Masters of Puppets. You know, all the for, for whom the bells tolls, fade to black, uh, sanitarium one. Uh, creeping death just a lot of whatever the generic if you got a greatest hits thing it's that but then i can definitely and yeah. do nostalgically listen to the black album top to bottom and load top to bottom but but that's about it also the symphony records really were fucking awesome that s&m record they did with the symphony oh yeah symphony. yeah uh i can name the guys in the band i can talk about tragedies i'm sure you've got that all covered but that's mm-hmm. that's pretty much it for me it's, it's been one of those bands where like you know they're cool they're rad they're they're definitely Led Zeppelin status from our lifetime forever, you know. Um, oh, but, I mean, listen, if they can, they, I'm in, in 2007. Like... Yeah, I mean, in in 2017, they started what I think has probably ended up being the biggest tour they've ever done. They were playing stadiums all over the world. Um, okay, you know, there's there's just not many bands who can sell out football stadiums. Um, that's, yeah, that's true. The, the very few bands can can do that, and, and you know, Guns and Roses did it no, in their it, big reunion. And if if Led Zeppelin got back together, this, they could do it. Not a, there, there's not many bands that can do that. Yeah, yeah. But talk to me about this. You know, one, we talked about this before. Where it's sort of the staying power kind of thing, and the reason that Tool sells out mm-hmm. stadiums is they do only a couple of year, or if they go on a tour, it's every five or six years. Is is that the same with Metallica? They've been one of those ones, which maybe I'm mistaken, oh. but I've been like thinking that for the last two decades, it's been stadiums whenever they feel like it, and it's always full. Is that? Not necessarily. There was definitely a time in the early 2000s, around the time of the documentary, that their popularity really waned. 
Um, hmm. And it, it, it I mean, it dipped pretty significantly the first two times I saw them. And it, we'll, go, we'll go back to the beginning, but just yeah. kind of a snapshot of where, where I got into them. Yeah. Um, I got into them around the time the documentary came out, and I went to see them at the Frank Irwin Center in Austin. Which, and have you been to a show at that arena? I have. have. I saw uh, Black Sabbath. Okay. Black Sabbath did some reunion okay. tour a few years ago. I, what, this is 10 yeah, years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. It was, I've been in there. Yeah, for sure. 5,000 seat or okay. something like that. So, but, oh, no, no, no. I'd say it's more like 15,000. Um, it's a big basketball arena. Yeah, yeah, um, that, that, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. It's big, about the size of Reunion Arena, probably pretty close to that um, in, in Dallas, um, RIP. Um, but, I, <laughs> you know, I, the first time I saw them was there, and I expected to see like this you know, packed crowd of, you know, UT kids or something. And the place was half empty. I mean, the upper deck, which I was in the upper deck, and the upper deck was probably 25% full, and the rest huh. of it was empty. Um, I saw them on that same tour in Dallas at the arena in Dallas, and same thing, the upper yeah. level was almost empty. Um, and then I saw them again in 2009 after Death Magnetic came out, okay. and they had just gotten inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and boom, now they're back to selling out every venue they play everywhere. And I don't think they've looked back since then. Huh. Um, but in the early 2000s, yeah, they did. I mean, that album came out, Some Kind of Monster, and it was just terrible. Or St. Anger. Saint it was Anger, just right. it was bad. Right. Um, and then, yeah, and they, it was, they, it was they not good. They also didn't it, do themselves even any favor with, like, the only, the only news I remember at that time was the one guy being out of the band, right? The new album sucking. And yeah. also they hate everybody who's downloaded their music, which sucks because... They have a huge online fan base who I remember at, yeah. at the time before Napster even hit when I was a kid getting onto the internet chat things and downloading bootlegs. Metallica was huge. It was like, yeah. you go download some Pearl Jam yeah. ones. I, you know, I've been, I've been sending you some, some links to some places that have them now. And it's like, yeah, you mm-hmm. know, there, there are corners and there's the deadheads. There's the Pearl Jam guys, mm-hmm. there's Metallica guys, and there's yeah. sort of like the Pink Floyd guys. And then there's people who are like, yeah, I got a Cranberries bootleg from when they did Woodstock, you know, or whatever. But like yeah. Metallica and, was and, fucking and, and if you... incredibly huge of what the community yeah. liked to get from them. And anything they released, they released some crazy bullshit. I don't remember that box set they did that was like, looked like a little like yes. trunk or whatever, like a like an instrument yeah. truck from the tour. <clears throat> and people bought that like crazy. I worked at a Best Buy. We could they, never they keep did. it in. Yeah, and and the the thing is, I mean, you know, you have so here's the thing about about Metallica. There's a lot of reasons for people to not like them, and there's there are definitely some um, some segments of the population for whom Metallica is just kind of a punching bag. Okay, um, they still think of the Napster stuff, even though it was literally 20 years ago, <laughs> right? Um, you know, and it was the, the uh, movie it was, documentary, and, and it was incredibly prescient too, because like they were absolutely right. It completely decimated oh, yeah. the music industry. Well, hundred percent. I mean, yes, I, I think they saw where that was going. I don't think they um, envisioned a world, uh, excuse me, where they could still make the kind of money they were making. Which, yeah, do they have enough money? Sure, but sure. I mean. <laughs> You know, at what point do you say, why is it worth it to spend six months in a studio fighting with each other to make this album if everyone's just going to download it for free? Yeah. Um, what's the point? You know, right. and I, I get that. Right. Um, uh, PR wise, I don't think they realized what kind of backlash they would get. Right. Um, and they've, they've, they've backed off of that stuff now. But Okay. Um, you know, they listen. The, in the, the the documentary didn't do them a whole lot of favors either, because man, I mean, they could have squashed that thing and no one would have ever seen it. 
Um, but that <laughs> thing did not enhance anybody's. Um, so it actually had a backlash. That was where I started yeah. to get, like, I would say, a little bit interested in them because I saw that. I was like, this is really yeah. endearing and cool to mm-hmm. see behind the scenes of how like, it a is. major, oh, it is. Know, I guess, supposedly badass, like, amazing band. Yes. And like how they're regular dudes but you, and they fight with regular shit. And yeah. They, you know, and, and the business That's the thing. part of it sucks, well, you know. And, you you see you 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 saw cracks in the foundation that you probably never saw before. Exactly. You, know, you saw the dynamics that you didn't realize. Right. Um, you know, you see them dealing with this therapist, and that guy's just a quack. And sure. Um, you know, they're you just it it did not do anything to make people say, "Man, these guys are really badass." Like, no, they're just you know, you, Lars yeah. sipping his champagne, selling yeah, his I art collection. Like that did a, not uh, help anything it, it definitely had a big like has been effect on it right on on the image of them I think, that, and, when i yeah. saw that which is fine Th- that's i was what like I... I thought they were probably past their prime and i still think that's true by that point that's fine it was still a rad band and well, they're still it... making it work which was crazy it was like metallic of the industry I... you know it's crazy <clears throat> I heard I heard someone describe the movie as being, and there's a whole uh, episode where we'll talk just about the movie because that is two, I could talk for two hours easily about the movie, <laughs> uh, but I heard someone I heard someone describe it as um, if you just had to make some liner notes, it would be these guys are each worth a hundred million dollars and they are out of ideas. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like they just the music is so forced; it's it's not great. And James is in rehab, and then he comes back. And you can only work for four hours a day, and they're just it's just it's a mess. Yeah, they are clearly a mess. Right. and I think they've gotten past that stuff now. Sure. And they're older and. Um, and things are good, although James just went back to rehab. But sure. Um, but know, I, th- but I think that's a good. Uh, I think that's a good seg all the way back to the beginning. You know, we were texting a little bit this week mm-hmm. when you gave me some songs to listen to, and I admittedly knew most of them. And uh, you said, and, yeah. and it was crazy because you sent me a video of these guys playing. And you said they opened for Ozzy Osbourne on a tour, and people might, in several yeah. cases, went home mostly after Metallica opened because that's what that was so amazing nobody gave a shit about seeing Ozzy headline or whatnot and I told you those dudes are skinny and young and me getting into yeah. them when I in 1994 oh, yeah. 95 when Load came out they were like at least early 40s if not mid so they've always been like these adult dudes to me like these adult rock stars who are yeah. seasoned and already have some gray hair and know what the fuck they're doing and that's just this image that you have burned in your brain of who, yeah. this, who this person is forever right but the video you sent me these right. guys are babies man like super skinny like yeah. maybe drug skinny maybe just sort of the usual haven't eaten a lot of food because i gig on the road all the fucking time skinny uh lots and yeah, lots it's of a combination. hair um yeah. that, but mm-hmm. really really young you said that hepfield started when he was like 19 mm-hmm. in the band or is that when he started making music in general or no, every one of those guys were either like they were between 19 and 21 when the band started. Okay. All of them. Okay. Um, and and the barrier, you know, you getting into Metallica when you did and me when I did, the barrier to entry was pretty low at that point. Yeah, you know, definitely. load and reload were really listenable yep. even for people who were not into thrash metal Ex- because those are not thrash metal albums. Exactly, totally. Um, yep. not in the least bit. No. Those are so mainstream yep. and I have no I have no problem with those sure. and I like those albums and we'll talk plenty about those. So, sure. let's go back to the beginning of of where they actually were. Um, and and how the whole thing got started because I to me the st- the story is is it's interesting but it's also kind of one of those man this could have happened to anybody yeah yeah, um, yeah. okay so you had 
So you had you had James Hetfield, who um, uh, you know grew up in California. His parents were like Christian scientists, so like they didn't believe in doctors or anything. Sure. Um, and they, he talks about this like in the behind the music. Um, they had a good behind the music, um, and clearly he has a lot of anger and I think it was shaped a lot from his childhood. He said like he saw people die that just didn't need to die because his parents didn't believe in doctors, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, but that's how he grew up and you see, I I would love to go to like all of the thrash metal (laughs) biographies and see how many of these guys grew up in like really strict uh, Christian households. Cause I bet the percentage is uh, much higher than zero. That's the the backstory Uh, to every rock and roll, (laughs) any, any angry rock and roller of all time. Yeah. That's funny. Um, So So you you have him. Cause I, I, I know that, uh, from reading the Primus documentary, the guy went to high school with Kirk Hammett, and that was like I feel like Bay Area is 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 James Bay Area as well. These guys from all over California. How, how do they come together? No, they're more. Um, they were more of a Los Angeles band. The, the moving to San Francisco and how they became a Bay Area band, I uh-huh. think, is actually hilarious, okay. and we'll get to that okay. probably here in about half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because okay. uh, there was no reason for them to become a Bay Area okay. band until they met one guy, and then they did, and it all worked out nicely. Because I think of them as a San Francisco band. Okay. Uh, they all live there still. They all have homes in San Francisco. Um, okay. Except for James, I think he I was lives say, in like Vail, Colorado. Is that fair to say when they have when they have homes in like seven cities in the, in the United States? Is it fair to say that they live in any of those cities? Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I yes, okay. I think that's. I think that's their, think their that's home fair. base. Really, is the San Francisco, the Bay Area, or whatever. It's not like that. Lars is. You know, sometimes a lot of these guys, like like I think Pearl Jam's one of them. Some of the guys are in Seattle proper, and other ones are like, no, nah, man, I'm going back to San Diego or whatever, and that's where they live. You know. Um, yeah, um, I I think that um, I I think James they they all lived in San Francisco for a while. James moved uh, away from there. Um, it basically said San Francisco was just full of assholes and right. bought a house in in Vail and. Okay. Uh, all the nice people in Vail, I guess. James can do that. He can buy a house in Vail. Um, <laughs> sure. I cannot buy a house in Vail. <laughs> uh, I did drive, but, but me and my son, we went to Colorado to climb a mountain last summer, and we went to Vail. We drove by James's house. Uh, <laughs> we had to, my son really well, wanted to see it. So we did it. And uh, surprisingly, okay. it's pretty nice. It's You'd be surprised. It's a... James Hetfield lives in a pretty nice home. Really? Vail. Wow. I, yeah. I wouldn't imagine. You wouldn't know it. $100 million dollar man. Yeah. You thought it'd be the hovel. <laughs> right. So, okay, uh, so, so he James's, up. James's mom, James's yeah. mom died when he was like 16. Because um, of this Christian science shit? Like if something is completely curable or? Yeah, I think so. Oh, um, it was, it was cancer, but I, it, you know, listen, cancer is deadly, but if yeah. it's untreated, it's 100% Even worse. deadly. Yeah, 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 um, exactly. You yeah. know, it treated, maybe you have a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, he went to live with his older uh, half brother. And I, I think that's where he got into like metal. Like his, his older brother had like, um, you know, metal albums and like deep purple and things like that, that, okay. that he got really into black Sabbath. And, um, that's kind of what he got into, started playing guitar uh, but he, he was a Los Angeles kid. Um, and so was, uh, Lars. So okay. Lars was actually a Dana, Danish kid. Um, he was born in, um, First, in the, the Netherlands. For, 
Okay, so he's first generation, huh? or not even first generation. He, he's he's an immigrant himself, or whatever. Yeah, yeah okay. he's an immigrant. His his dad his dad like moved the family um, to uh, Los Angeles when Lars was like a kid, like okay. twelve years old or something. Okay. Um, Lars, so Lars grew up in the Netherlands. His his entry to music was like his dad. Um, his dad was. Um, his dad's kind of a cool guy. His dad's in the documentary a lot. Sure. Um, his dad's kind of a quirky, interesting guy, but his dad had a bunch of tickets to go see Deep Purple um, in the Netherlands um, when Lars was like nine years old. Okay. And one of, a, one of um, his dad's friends that was going to go dropped out at the last minute, so they let Lars go to the show, and he was just, you know, listen, you're nine, and you go see <laughs> Deep Purple like in their Smoke prime, the you're, yeah. you're in. Right, you're right. you're all in on is, Deep Purple. Is at Deep that Purple point. is Deep Purple hailed as like not as not necessarily just yeah. an influence for uh, Metallica, but like is that is that one of the baseline uh, founders of sort of the metal movement? I definitely Black Sabbath. Oh yeah, right? but, yes. Okay, interesting. Yes. All right. Yeah, Deep Purple absolutely is up there okay. as a metal slash hard rock like, uh, pioneer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. For sure. Um, so, so it like some of their stuff, you know, you know, the hits like seizes destiny basically by accident. Yeah. He okay. like the next day he, he like, he goes out and he buys a deep purple album and he's just, he's in like, he's hooked at that point. Um, okay. it's funny because he's like, he, he talks about this in the documentary, talks about this, um, in there behind the music. Um, but he was like a top 10 player in Denmark, top 10 tennis player. I heard um, this. Yeah, in yeah. Denmark, okay. like on the on the youth circuit, and right. then he moved to the U.S. and he could not make his high school team, and he <laughs> he said like he literally went from being like top ten in the country in Denmark right. um, to like not even top ten on his block right. in America. Right. So he just started playing. He started. He just got into drums. He started playing drums. Right. Um, he 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 placed an ad in a local paper. Again, we talked about this, like in New York, the Village Voice, where Kiss met. Right. Um, man, I'd love to get my hands on some of these some of these like trade papers. <laughs> right. Um, in the in the seventies and eighties, guitarists must see. be into Deep Purple yeah. and mad at Dad or whatever. That's literally what it said. It said like, look at drummer looking for a guitar player to jam with Iron Maiden and all these other like. He just wanted to play cover songs, you know. He's yeah. looking for a guitar player to play with. Okay. Um, Headfield answers the ad. How old at this point? Is this when he's 12, 15? No, no, no. They're like 18. Okay, okay. Yeah, they're 18. They're, they're, they is, got the ball rolling. This is their first like, band. This is not like Lars is going yes. through three little bands or a piece of shit and cutting his chops like the Pearl no. Jam guys did. This is just like, hey, James no. Hetfield walks into the garage and is like, hey, let's take over the world. Yes. Man. The, yeah, literally. Like, Hetfield was one of the guys who answered the ad. They become friends pretty quickly. They start jamming. Um, and you know, the, the band the, like quote Metallica was formed like just a few months after James answered that ad, like they're a band Whoa. and All right. they start jamming. They, they start playing, um, the name Metallica. Um, uh, they had a friend who was trying to form his own band and that friend had two ideas for names. <laughs> One, this is where Metallica could have gone the really cheesy route right. with some of these metal, right. you know, some of these metal bands are really cheesy. Right. Um, and they could have been that because the one name the guy was considering was Metal Mania <laughs> and the other name he was considering was Metallica. Okay. And Lars liked the name Metallica so Lars told that guy to take the name Metal Mania. He was like, you take Metal Mania, we'll take Metallica. Okay. <laughs> they could have been Metal Mania. How cheap. 
would they, like Metal Mania oh is a band that's God. like playing like the House of Blues as like a metal cover band on New Year's Eve. Yeah. That's Metal Mania. But I mean, how stupid is is you know Warrant Guns and Roses? Yeah, I, <laughs> I know. Oh, just wait. I'm not done because uh, it gets worse. Okay, okay. All right. So. They, I'll, I'll get to the, it gets worse here in just a second. Mm-hmm. So Lars talks his, he talks his way cause he's a salesman, uh, not a great drummer. A lot of people would still say he's not a great drummer. <laughs> um, but Lars like talks his way onto this metal compilation album. Uh, there's this record label called metal blade records. And what they would do every year is they would put out this metal compilation album of like unsigned bands. Okay. And Lars, gets Metallica a slot on this album. Okay. And they they write a song that they still play live to this day called Hit the Lights. And it's really? the first song in their first album. Okay. Uh, but they put they got Hit the Lights on that album and it gained a little bit of tra- enough attraction. It gained enough traction to get them some gigs in and around Los Angeles. Okay. Um, it gained them enough traction that there was a metal band um, that was a little bit more popular touring the U.S. from Britain called Saxon. Okay. And Metallica opened for them in Los Angeles, and it was like their second show ever the um, was opening for this for this band. Like okay. they 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 gained a reputation pretty quickly as a really good up and coming band. Okay, um, roll back the clock. Like these kids yeah. didn't pick up guitars two minutes before they started this band. James never had a band. James had just been playing around with guitar since he's eleven. I think or James had James James had been jamming with other friends, and okay. he'd been in some like he'd been in bands like high the school same bands, way. like friends where like yes. they don't actually yes. go play gigs. But he's been they've obviously honed their chops enough because I've heard that song and I'm like no. that's a Metallica yeah. song. It's not like they're like hey let's put our first three chords together and make a Green Day song. Right? No, and it's it's really intricate. Right, right. It's really intricate. Right, like okay. it's. I, I couldn't play it. Like, okay. I, there's no way I could play that song. Uh, yeah, who, who's, um, who's on the scene at this point? Is like Cliff Burton in the band? Is Dave Mustaine there? Is no. It just so Lars this and is, James? Is it? At this point, it's Lars and James, and they've got like a couple of friends playing with them. Okay. Um, and so they Mustaine is not on the scene yet. Okay. Um, so, but now it's time to make their first albums. They hire Dave Mustaine. They put an ad in the this same paper for a lead guitar player. Mustaine answers. Okay. Dave Mustaine, um, eventually of Megadeth, right. answers. And they hired him because when he showed up, he had a lot of like really expensive guitar equipment. And they were like, <laughs> yeah, he's in. He's our guy. <laughs> That's great. This is the nineteen. And then they just have another nineteen-year-old making business shots, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) so they, so Mustaine joins the band, and they, it's time to like record their first album, and they have just another dude on bass, just a friend named a guy named Ron. (laughs) You can't imagine Metallica with a guy named Ron these days, but um, it it happened. Um, I mean, they they got a guy guy named Jim. I mean, come on, How, how bad can it be? They don't have a Jim. James. They have a James. Oh, yeah. Don't don't refer to him as Jim. Don't call him Jim. Literally <laughs> nobody does that. <laughs> okay. No one's ever called him Jim. But he's Jim. Um, so so Metal Blade Records that put out this compilation, they want to make like the first Metallica album. Okay. But they don't have enough money. Okay. Um, to produce the album. Um, so, so like some other people in Los Angeles, they, they see what's happening. They see the potential. So they line up, 
um, there's this dude who's a producer who basically is like, I will, I'll let you record, I'll front the money and I will put it out on my label. And they're like, cool, let's do it. Okay. So he sends the band to his studio in Rochester, New York. Okay. Now, keep in mind that this band eventually earned the nickname Alcoholica. Yeah, right. Um, they were not messing around when right. it came to their drug and alcohol use. Right. Even with that said, once once they get to Rochester, they like literally they get to Rochester the next day. They're supposed to start recording, and they realize, man, this Dave Mustaine guy, he drinks a lot. We got to kick him out. Right. <laughs> they 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 fire Dave Mustaine the night before they start to their a day or two before, but they're already in Rochester. Right. Like they wake him up, they give him a bus ticket, and they send him back to Los Angeles. If you get kicked out of Metallica for drinking too much. Um, that's that's a problem. You should just go straight to rehab. This is like right after Mustaine is hired, like within days or something, or no? They they had hired him. He'd been playing gigs for them. Um, okay. So they they'd hired him. They it's time to make an album. He's been playing gigs. He he's a great guitar player. Like he's Dave Mustaine. Obviously, we know what he turned into. Um, yeah. But they they get to Rochester and they just and like he had been in fights. With, like, the bass player. Like, the bass player had was, like, on the verge of quitting already because he was sick of Dave Mustaine. Um, and he, okay. like, he's just a belligerent, drunk asshole. Like, it sounds right. like he really was. Like, that was a real problem, even though the rest of the band was also quite heavy drinkers. Right, right. Um, like, Dave Mustaine took it too far, and... They sure. fired him. Like they woke him up one morning with a bus ticket and said, "You're going back to Los Angeles. You're you're fired." Um, this is right. In the they middle had of the hired before they even actually got in. No, they got to Rochester, but before they even had their first session, they okay. fired. Him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I don't. I, I would love to know more detail over how and why they took him all the way to Rochester to. Right. to just fire him. Right. I don't know why that was. Yeah, something um, happened did. that night and, before that was the final straw, right? <clears throat> I mean, clearly. And and because they fired him that morning, and by that afternoon, they had hired Kirk Hammett uh, oh, to wait, be what? their new lead guitar player. So clearly they already there knew was. what was so going to happen. Actually, Mustaine and, was hung over, and they met Kirk Hammett in a bar that night, and right, something like that. <laughs> Um, maybe well so Mustaine so what I know when they got to Rochester they were playing some gigs in and around the tri-state area so it might have been that they got there uh, you know a little bit before it was time to record and played some gigs probably to make some money Um, and something happened and they they fired him told him he was too much of an alcoholic for Alcoholica and that was it. Uh, Kirk Hammett <laughs> had been Kirk had been in a band that still exists to this day called Exodus. Uh, okay. Exodus is still a thrash metal band that is active today. They've I don't believe I don't know if there are any original members, but if you look at their Wikipedia page at past members, it's quite a long list. Uh, but Kirk Hammett okay. is one of them. He was in Exodus. Um, so he was probably okay. the first guy in the band to have been in like a real band before he joined Metallica. Interesting. Um, Yeah. So they record the album Kill 'Em All. Um, Cliff Burton, their their you know their eventual original bass player, was not on the scene yet. Um, They record this album called Kill 'Em All. Uh, Before it was called Kill 'Em All, this is where 
I said it gets worse. It gets worse. So this band, which could have been called Metal Mania, <laughs> like they considered that, their first album was going to be called Metal Up Your, a- Up Your Ass. <laughs> their first album was going to be Metal Metal Up oh Your Ass. God. That was going to be the name of the album. <laughs> Somehow, someone talked them out of that. Um, and there's so so the there's other bands on the scene at this point who are also in thrash metal and I think this is really interesting because I have a one of my big questions is like why why did Metallica make it out of that group of underground thrash metal bands to become a major mainstream band and Slayer right. and Anthrax are big bands who were also around at the time. Um, but they never made it anywhere near the level metallic. Only thrash metal fans are fans of Anthrax, you know. But there were right. girls in our high school who were fans of Metallica, and I right. I am eternally well, curious yeah. of how that happened. Right, but that that's also like if you're talking about our high school years, this is late '90s. That's mm-hmm. like nothing else matters, right. and you're unforgiven. You can't escape oh, yeah. these songs for sure. And those are like love ballads or like sad, sad oh, boy yeah. songs. They're not fucking thrash metal. Kill them all. I remember I have a well, friend who's way into Metallica. Played me that record. I was like, this is this is an aggressively testosterone filled thrash thing. I mean, it's not. You know, yeah. love love ballads. It is not. You know. No, but one thing they did, and there's some songs on there, songs like "Kill," like like uh, "Seek and Destroy," which was the biggest, you know, probably the biggest yeah, hit from true. that album. Um, right. You know, "Seek that's and Destroy." They sure. did it. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. If you listen, because I, I went back and I listened to like Anthrax's first album, oh, the first one that's on Spotify. It came out in '83. Um, okay. So I don't know what they had before then. Um, and you listen to it and you're just kind of shrug your shoulders and you're like, yep, this is thrash metal. Like it's all the same, every song you just click right. through. Whereas like yeah, every see, song is just the same. Is a classic like song of all time. You know, that's crazy. Yeah. That's just a hard rock song. Like black Sabbath yeah. could have written that song. Absolutely. Yeah, Ozzy exactly. could have sang that song. No right. doubt. Like 100%. that is a, right. they, they, they had a knack for like letting a song breathe just a little bit more right. than those other yeah. bands. And I think that's one reason why they started to gain traction a lot faster. That's true. And got that's a lot true, bigger metal, even lot of, in the 80s. About, especially, especially Thrash, right? It was a lot of like speed. Like who can play this the mm-hmm. fastest? Who can play these guitar licks the fastest and these solos and stuff? That's an interesting insight, I think. That like they definitely well, like and said, by- they let it breathe on certain songs. That's and yeah. they, I mean that, that's what made it more accessible. Unforgiven is a very uh, breathy song oh, guess, in, in that respect, right? It, there's yeah. a lot of emptiness well, in there, and that is a great song. <clears throat> and and they like their eventual producer Bob Rock um, said like before right. the Black Album, on a lot of their songs, it was like a competition between James and Lars of who could play the fastest. Um, there, right. there was a lot of that, and if you listen to some of those songs, yeah, there's there's some of the hit the lights is kind of like that. Hit the lights is a really fast, hard driving song, right? Um, right. But they they could take their foot off the gas pedal every now and then. Um, yeah. And you look at what eventually happened with songs like One, that just right. that you know that's a song that kind of thrust them much more in the mainstream. Um, but man, that's like the late '80s, and thrash metal bands were not doing that at all, and Metallica yeah. had a knack for doing that. Now. Okay. They record the album. The album comes out. Um, it, you know, it's, listen, it's a success as much 
of a success as an album like that can be at the time. It's it's a success in the metal world. It certainly is not mainstream. 100,000 records over a year or something like that. Yeah, but it, but it gets them. I think it lost money. Like it costs more to produce than it made originally you know, in the beginning, at least. Yeah. You know, sure. Now, of course, it's, it sells plenty. But um, you know, it is. Um, I think it's pretty well thought of today. They still play a lot of those songs today live. Yeah. Um, right. Which is yeah. impressive because they're almost sixty and they can still they can still play them at full speed and they do not slow down. Um, Man, it did get them. Um, it did get him some more notoriety and, and just, it opened up the ability to play a lot more, um, venues. When did, when did this record it, come out and, and, and what connections did they have? Like you said that James had been in bands, obviously, uh, you know, Kirk Hammett comes from Exodus and whatever and stuff. Like a lot of the bands we've been talking about for nineties and uh, late eighties and stuff have been, uh, LA bands, right? There's guns and roses. Mm-hmm. There's, there's tools in the nineties. Jane's Addiction is huge from that era. Um, uh, X is one that I keep seeing thrown around. All these people refer to. Is, is Metallica hooked in any of those? Are they are they hooked into the Guns N' Roses fan club somehow? Or the like, not rubbing shoulders with those guys who are kind of they come a little bit later. They explode later. But is there is there something like that that they're part of a scene that really really breaks them? Or is it literally just that they get on this this demo thing the the compilation and then just explodes and they don't need nobody you know um, i think what i i think i think what happened was a couple of things okay. um i mean they were definitely in the metal scene they were okay. they were kids they were young um but they had a couple of like i think kind of uh, music writers um and they had some you know some producers and some promoters in that world who really liked him and were you know eager to book them shows were eager to get them on the bill with other bands okay. um one thing that they did that that you know they played um i mean so kill them all came out in like 82 um oh wow by okay like I, 80, man, I always thought by they like, were like by like I thought they were like mid or late eighties starting. Okay, that's a long no, time ago. This band yeah. has been around for almost they've been around for almost forty years. This yeah, band is yeah. as old as I am. Um, Crazy. And they so but like by like eighty four, like they're playing some pretty big festivals with these yeah. big metal bands. Cause metal a lot of metal um, was a lot bigger in Europe than it was in the okay. US. And okay. they play some pretty big festivals with these bands, but those festivals get them um, a lot of notoriety. Their live shows, right, okay. like a lot of bands, um, that gains them a pretty big following. And if you look, a lot of their tour history is on Wikipedia. Um, if okay. you look at their tours, I mean, man, they're playing everywhere. They played in like 83, I think they played like six cities in Texas and I bet you could name maybe one or two of them. Right. Like San Angelo, they played Texas like te- coming through. They didn't play San Angelo, but they they played a <laughs> venue in Tyler, Texas. They played in San Angelo, Texas. And uh, not San Angelo, they played in Texarkana. Um, I mean, <laughs> they're just crisscrossing the U.S. in a van playing right. everywhere. And they're Man. building a fo- they're building a real following by this point. Um, right. They go see a show they see a show in Los Angeles um, for this uh, this band. I don't remember the name of the band, but there was a um, oh, there's a band called Trauma. Okay. Um, and they were so like, there was this wah wah sound coming from the stage 
uh, they thought it was like the guitar player. They 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 go around after the show trying to figure it out. They figured out it was the bass player mm-hmm. making this sound, and they were blown away. And they wanted to fire their bass player because um, he was just a guy. He was just he, he wasn't. He was he, also, he was just a guy playing. He's also bass. named Ron, right? He's also named Ron. You can't have a guy named Ron in a band like Metallica. <laughs> right. Um, so they find Cliff Burton, who's in this band called Trauma. Uh, Metallica has an album. They, it seems like they have kind of a record deal, um, but they're clearly developing a following. And Cliff Burton, this is hilarious. Cliff Burton originally says, no, I'm already in a band, yada, yada, yada. Metallica okay. keeps trying to recruit him. Finally, they get him because Cliff Burton thought that his band Trauma was getting, quote, a little too commercial. <laughs> That's awesome. So he joined Metallica. <laughs> right. Little would he know yeah, uh, what, would, what would come. That's funny. That, that is a, um, that's a thing, man. John Frusciante of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. like He joins them before the Mother's Milk, which is one of the bigger records. Uh-huh. And then Blood Sugar Sex Magic obviously is like the biggest record. And yeah. he was so pissed off and upset about not doing the van life thing, similar to like Eddie Vedder, where he was like, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. I should do the van life. And Eddie Vedder like went through some kind of breakdown. We're like three albums in, multi-million yeah. selling. He's like, I'm going to drive myself to the gigs in a van. You guys can fly whatever, but I'm going to drive. And it's like, okay. That's, yeah. That's like a thing. I don't understand. But it's that's like, a, like, no, it's like that's a rite of passage that's Bob- or something. I don't yeah, I, I I guess it is. Not everyone complains. Bob yeah. Seger uh, has said they went from station wagons to private jets like overnight. Right, and that was I've okay. never heard his band complain about it. <laughs> <That was right. laughs> they seemed, it seemed like they were okay with it. Right, um, Metallica. I mean, they they definitely paid their dues. I mean, listen, even a moderately successful thrash metal band <laughs> right. in the early 80s well, they're they're in a van right um, yeah you know they're they're still paying their dues they're not making a ton of money four, yet four or five they get cliff burton to join their band split by five guys yes yeah right yeah 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 half their money goes to beer um, right so you get they get cliff this is how they become a san francisco band because cliff lives near san francisco in, in el cerrito um and Cliff tells them, I'll join your band, but you guys have to move to San Francisco. So they were like, okay, we'll do it. What? And Metallica moved to El Cerrito, California For the to get Cliff to join their band. Wow. Okay. And which it paid, even though Cliff, you know, died, um, you know, just a few years after that. I mean, he, it sounds like, I don't know a lot about his history, but it sounds like he was much more of a polished musician than the other guys. Okay. Um, it sounds like he really added, especially on their next album, Ride the Lightning. Okay. Um, he, I mean, you listen to like For Whom the Bell Tolls. Like, right. that's not a song without his bass on it. Okay. Like, yeah. That yeah. is a, you know, that's a, his bass becomes a big driving force in the band. He's recognized Interesting. Uh, to so this I, day. I, I, he's, I just figured this was the original basis from the beginning. So you can listen to Kill Em All and then flip to Ride the Lightning mm-hmm. and hear a marked difference. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And you hear, and you, you, I mean, he's today, still today, like he's recognized as one of the greatest bass players of all time. Okay. Um, people still talk about him in very revered, you know, tones. Okay. Um, he is very well respected um and 
he he brought definitely brought a lot to the band. I, I uh, everyone I think has the same thought of man, what would have happened if sure. he would have stuck around? Okay, um, because he was just enormously well respected. Do we think in that community and in music as whole? Do we think Reload the disaster would have happened if Cliff Burton <laughs> lived? Second follow-up question: call. How about anything after that that was also a disaster? Would have that any of that happened? I wish I knew more about Cliff's personality because I really don't know much about it. Sure. One, one thing that's funny about this band, there's t- two things about this band that I always kind of scratch my head about. Okay. Number one um, is that um, none of them have written a book. Right. Like there are no autobiographies right. by members of Metallica. Right, right. Um, which is amazing. Uh, like they've been be around fair, for 40 like years. Heath Richards' life thing came out, what, five years ago? Maybe a decade True. ago? And he was like in his True. 70s, right? Or mid-70s in that True, hit. yeah. So, so hopefully they're um, coming. Uh, but yeah, fair enough. And number two, uh, none of them have ever put out a solo album. Like you've never had a James. Yeah, Hetfield but I mean they cover that in the documentary anything, is... where it's like they, they see this thing. Oh, yeah, as, I know. You know well, yeah, but. Yeah, but we'll, yeah, we'll talk about that. That, they, yeah. that it is a... They they see it as no you're in Metallica or you're not right. There's yeah, no there's no side do. side branding side business basically. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's it's interesting. Yeah. So but yeah, huh? So they go record Ride the Lightning. They've got the same uh, record label um, that did the first album that funds the second album. They go to a recording studio like in the Netherlands or something um, and record it there. Uh, I think a lot of times those bands would go like, all right, we're going to do a European tour and we're going to record over there. That way we basically cover the cost of recording. Huh, um, okay. I think I think a lot of that kind of stuff went on at the time. It was like, we're going to find well, a like, place to today, record. We can play some shows around that. In modern times, there's like a bunch of memes floating around. It's like, try and find a metal band that hasn't been you know, didn't start in like Finland or Sweden or something. Right. And there's like, there are graphs. I'm yeah. not sure how much they're bullshit, but it's like metal bands per capita, which means like per what I think a hundred thousand or per million, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, okay. In the yeah. Dallas area, there's 12 of them or something. And it's like for every little part of Finland, there's like 180 of them or something, you know, or whatever for every little piece yeah. or whatever. So maybe is, is, do you know anything about that? Is that, was that heritage already started that I don't know, deep purple is from, you know, Stockholm or something and now everything metal that is the mecca to go get recorded at or something or um, I don't know if like Stockholm was the um, uh, was well, I, the I, mecca I was just making up a random but... city and a random Scandinavian city I'm just saying like do you know of any because that that is a trope for sure metal recorded in Scandinavian countries yeah but like, yeah for sure happens. but you look at you look at Sabbath um, British deep purple okay. British. Yeah. Um, right. There are right. endless amounts of met huge metal bands that are enormous, like everywhere in the world except for the U.S. Um, okay. You know there are festivals like metal festivals that happen all over Europe that okay. don't even resemble what happens in the U.S. because they are okay. massive in Europe. So my guess of why they would have recorded in Europe is not necessarily to record in Europe, but because they could tour over there, probably make some pretty good money, and you know be earning a pretty good income while they're recording this album. Interesting. That's okay. my guess. Okay. Um, you know, and they can now, do is this, it in Sweden. Is this a, Don't we all want to go? Yeah, right. Is this, is this a road album? Is this sort of like we go in there for a week and then go do some more gigs and go back in for a week? Or they seclude themselves for a few months? Do you know any of those kinds of details? Or... 
Not for not for that album. I, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure if if it was like all in one shot. Um, sure. My guess my guess is they tried to do it pretty quickly. Right. Um, just because I mean it was it was all done in, at one studio. Right. Um, it was you know I mean it's funded by an independent record label. It's so this is not, not a Electra. Like Electra doesn't isn't in the picture at this point. No, not yet. Okay. Not okay. Yet. Okay. Um, so they, they put out this, um, man, they put out this, this, this ride the lightning album and it's, it, it's, it's by metal standards. It's big. Um, it, it, it hits. There are some songs that, um, not quite enter into the mainstream necessarily, but they are, um, they're big. That is an, an album that today is like six times platinum. Um, okay. I mean, it's a huge album. And right. they still play a ton of songs off of it. Um, they in start pati- gaining in particular, a the significant. Ones, I, I got the track list in front of me. The ones that I know right off the top: mm-hmm. uh, "For Whom the Bell Tolls." That's one of the tracks. "Fade to Black." So now we got mm-hmm. two of them. "Creeping Death" is three of them. "The Call of Cthulhu" is uh, four of them. The whole record is like forty-seven minutes. Half of the fucking record is completely recognizable. It's eight tracks, oh, yeah. and four of them are massive, massive songs. I'm pretty sure I, I know I've heard the record, but I'm feeling like "Fight Fire with Fire" is also a pretty big track. But may, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm misremembering. It is no. They they still they still play it today. Okay. Um, there is a um, there's an instrumental uh, that's really revered by uh, Metallica fans called "Call of Cthulhu." Right. Um, towards the end of the album, that they still play sometimes. Um, still play live. Right. Um, what's amazing about it, I mean, this came out in 1984, and any band that made a metal album in 1984 that still goes out near the age of 60 and plays these songs runs a real risk of looking like Spinal Tap. Right. And, man, they it holds up. Like, it really holds up. Like it's a it's yeah. a great album. No, and it's it's I'm, this it, like, isn't this isn't this me is, saying this isn't me saying like I like Matchbox Twenty and no one else does. Like <laughs> everyone agrees, it holds up. No, yeah, they like, are they are. I, I feel like there's a whole era, right, which is the '80s, that you just skip over. Everybody's like, for whatever reason, getting away from rock and roll and doing this like sort of navel gazing stuff. You got U two, right? You got REM. You got the Cure. I, you know, there, there's hair metal happening. And whatnot, like like hair bands, mm-hmm. not hair metal, right? But like Metallica is like, it's it's one of the Led Zeppelins, right? I mean, it's it's so fucking huge. It's like it's it's all time rock and roll, like yeah. peak peak songs that are just like you can't talk about rock and roll without mentioning Stairway to Heaven. Right, and you can't talk about rock and roll without mentioning yeah. like for whom the bell tolls, right? And also maybe the Unforgiven yeah. being a big part of it too, or whatever. But like that, this is like, like you said, it's a no bullshit. Like this is a a, a genre defining, and not even the thrash metal. It's just rock and roll in general, heavy rock or whatever. Like Metallica is is that level? I think Led Zeppelin level at no. least. You know, I think one hundred percent. I I I would almost say they invented a genre. Um, on their own because what happens with Ride the Lightning is they start moving away from this thrash metal thing. Like, they're not doing Uh, metal up your ass anymore at this point. Um, Right, okay. Like, these are well-thought-out, well-constructed songs with pretty intricate lyrics, um, with um, really intricate instrumentals, um, but it's listenable. 
It's not like, you know, Rush would go off into some really intricate instrumentals that you're like, all right, fast forward. It's, it's just hard to listen to, um, even right. though it's amazing, because as, as musicians, those guys are all an 11 on a scale of 10. Um, right. But Metallica, they I mean, this is where they take the foot off the gas pedal a little bit more. I, I think that, you know, and, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure this necessarily is, you know, uh, indicative, but it, like what you mentioned is interesting about how Cliff Burton adds a lot. Six of these eight tracks mm-hmm. uh, have Burton as one of the writing credits on it. Some of them do or don't have yeah. like Mustaine or whatever or something. The only two that don't have him on it are uh, two tracks that uh, I've never heard of: was "Trapped Under Ice" and "Escape." So, Creeping yeah. Death, okay, Fade so to Black for whom the bell tells all yeah. the stuff. He's ride the lightning. His name is on there as a writing credit. So maybe that's a, mm-hmm. like you're saying a big part of the departure. It, it is. No, I think, again, I think Cliff Burton brought a sophistication that they really hadn't had. Yeah. Um, he, he brought a dynamic. I mean, really, and when you watch some kind of monster, the documentary, you see that James and Lars need badly, like a third voice that has some authority. Like yeah. they need that. They really right. need that. Right, and, and, and Kirk um, and Hammett is not, right? Cliff, he's the Cliff, cool, get-along guy no. who's just like, whatever, man. He's, he and, he smiles the yeah, whole time. Yeah, he is. Why can't, he, he's yeah. like, why can't we all just go play, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Cliff Burton, again, I wish I knew more about his actual personality, but it feels like he brought that dynamic um, that they needed really badly. And you hear a monster difference between Kill 'em All and Ride the Lightning. Like, okay. there is such a massive leap forward. And you, it reminds me of the Beatles. You know, you listen to Beatles albums from 64, like A Hard Day's Night, and then you listen to right. like Revolver, and you're like, man, is this the same band? And those albums were recorded like two years apart. Like, right. there's no time in between those albums. And that's Ride the Lightning and Kill Them All. Like, there's no time in yeah. between these albums. And they made a giant leap forward. Um, right. For Whom the Bell Tolls, I think, is still considered one of their absolute best. It, it yes, really holds up. Um, yep. Universally loved. Uh, they play it, I think, pretty much every show. Um, and it's got a killer Cliff Burton bass line. Just Great, yeah, great song, great album. I did actually. It's 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 their actually Freebird, just saw right or one of them. I think. Yeah, you know? I mean, one, like of, one about, of them. Like, They've got multiple or, free birds, or, but yeah. st- Stairway or Stairway or Cashmere or whatever. Like this is, I, I would say, for whom the bell tolls or or the Unforgiven. I think between one of those two is their like their free bird. That's my personal opinion. Is like the the and the and song. you can. But you can see such a difference in that, again, it's a song that really breathes. Like, I could right. play that song on the drums. It's not yeah. a fast song. Right, um, right. But it is a hard, driving song. Um, yeah. And it's something where, again, they step away a little bit, I think, from this thrash metal thing and just go more into just kind of hard rock slash metal. Um, and it it works. Uh, I saw. I just saw the reason they recorded it in, um, in Europe is because the American uh, label that they were on did not have enough money to fund it, but their okay. um, their British count their British counterpart, which funded a lot of like kind of underground or kind of unknown metal bands, uh, they had the uh-huh. money, so they had Metallica come over okay. and record it in Europe. Um, okay, now now we're talking because so, the British. So let's take a tangent. What does that mean? Right, we're like I've seen that before. We're like the distribution rights for this record in America is like this sister label to that one, right? Mm-hmm. 
what what does this mean? Is it like is it one company, let's just call it EMI or whatever or something, and they just have different regions or something? That's here's some UK guys with their own budget, some US guys. I, I've never understood that where like they'll be, you know, the uh, the Beatles or whatever is like on Apple Music in the UK, and then what actually winds up being published in the US may not even be that label. Yeah, I think what happens is you have a small label in America called like okay. Metal Blade or whatever it was. Okay. Um, they're not international. They're not sure. set up to be international. They don't have okay. the money to be international to, to handle okay. distributing an album all throughout Europe. Like they're not, they can't do that. So then they sign a side deal with a British company that says, well, we can handle European distribution. And so they work out some sort of a revenue share um, okay. to handle the European distribution of this album. Okay. Um, they want the album. They want to put it out. American record label says, ah, we don't have enough money for them to produce this album right now. So British company says, well, we have a financial interest, so we'll produce it. And Interesting. You know, bring him over to Europe. We'll get we'll get studio time, and okay. uh, we'll let him record it over here. So, huh, um, crazy. That's basically like literally, literally the fucking like business label. Uh, intricacies is, is dictates the fate of where Metallica records mm-hmm. at the beginning are made. It's just like, Hey guys, the business is, uh, it's going to be in Montana. That's where we got to record it. You're like, what? That's, that's crazy. Okay. Oh, yeah. 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 That, that happens all the time Okay, where it's okay, guys, we have a studio, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Tom Petty, they recorded some of their first demos in Tulsa, Oklahoma because huh. the record label had a studio there. Okay. So they were like, hey, before you get to California, stop in Tulsa. And they're and, like, what? <laughs> uh, you know, you got some studio time in, in Tulsa. So, um, okay. so yeah, they record, they record Ride the Lightning. It's a, it's, it's a hit. It's a big album. It's still big today. People still love it. Now, it's still you, considered, you, uh, I think, one of their best. You mentioned that it's, you know, six times platinum. And I see that in the Wikipedia here. But Kill Em All mm-hmm. by now is also three times platinum. So are we... You know, mm-hmm. it, it, there's only things where something happened where the Black Album or something hit and there starts getting some retroactive sales that start going through the roof, I'm sure. But, like, is it still the slow build? Like I mentioned, I've been reading the Primus book, and it was, like, their first record it, over a period of, you know, a while wound up being, you know, 100,000 records. Or, you know, and the second one was, like, maybe 200,000 records over a couple of years or something. And over time, it got bigger and bigger. They never got to Metallica stage, but... You know, it, uh, Pearl Jam's 10 did the same thing. It sold like 100,000 mm-hmm. records or 200 in the first year. And then, I don't know, I guess the Jeremy video or something something hit that really took them off and took them to the stratosphere. And it became their biggest selling record, like really quickly within a year or two. Same kind of thing here? Or was it like the Ride the Lightning came out and that is like all over the world and everything is now multi-million selling starting there? No, no, definitely not multi-million, multi-million selling at the time. Um, certainly, there was a resurgence later as okay. Metallica gets popular. Their back catalog gets popular. Um, it certainly had a following, okay. um, but that following sure. was limited sure. to the metal world. Okay. A little more about about uh, about the recording. One of the things that they did here that again, like thrash metal bands were not doing, were a song like "Fade to Black," which had an acoustic guitar. Right. Like, but, yeah. Like that right. wasn't. Like that's not that's not thrash metal at all. It's oh, right. a very slow, right. gradual acoustic guitar intro, and again, that's when they still play. Like pretty every time I've seen them, I've seen them four or five times. I think they've played it every time I've seen them. Um, yeah, definitely. The the studio, like basically, the studio they 
they recorded at was just super cheap. They had no money at the time because, again, Kill 'Em All had been mildly successful, but even a mildly successful thrash metal band at the time wasn't making a lot of money. Um, right. I mean, they're just like living day to day. They had a one bedroom apartment in Copenhagen uh, where they were recording, and they're just like sharing bedrooms. Jesus. And um, oh my God. I mean, they had Four they dudes, had no like, sleeping money. on the couch. Um, yeah. Do you, do you think that apartment smelled pretty good? Do you think that apartment <laughs> right. like? It absolutely smells nice like clean. weed, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Or cocaine. <laughs> Man. Um, that's... <laughs> yeah. It was... So, it was, so it was, it was funny. This, I mean... This is the thing. We, we started off this... T- we started this talk off talking about, like, oh, man, they're so successful, so young. They're so lucky and stuff. But, like, man, it, it sounds like they're grinding it out and not living exactly rock star life. They're grinding it out. But think about... Think, like, think about this. Let's let's just say you and I start a band, which we might. Um, and <laughs> we become... We become... We're not making a ton of money, but we're successful enough that a record label is like, we're going to fly you guys out to Copenhagen to record your next album. Even Uh, if they're putting us up in a one-bedroom apartment, we're still high-fiving. Like, man, (laughs) this is amazing. That's true, that's true. Especially when you're 21 Um, years old or something. Like, oh my God, I'm a rock star. Yeah, that's true, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, so there's, um, so Kirk Hammett says that, um, like, in, in... (laughs) In Copenhagen, in Copenhagen, they had nothing to do except for like muse, work on music and drink Carlsberg beer. And he said, we collected every single <laughs> beer bottle in our friend's apartment because you were able to take in four six-packs of empty beer bottles and get one six-pack of full beer bottles back. So if you brought four six-packs in, they would give you one six-pack full back out. So okay. you could collect all your empty beer bottles and go trade them in for full beer bottles. Okay. So, okay. Like they were just drinking and recording. Like right. that's all they were doing. Um, okay. And I mean, but it, again, how many albums have we heard that are made like that? You know, that's that's every <laughs> all of them. album. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Right. Yeah. So they're playing. They're they're playing shows. They're recording. Um, they're definitely getting a. Uh, they're definitely getting a, a, a following, um, and. Now they, you know, they, they tour with Ride the Lightning. Um, now it's, they're, they're, they're making some money on the road. Uh, they're playing a ton of dates still. I mean, they're living on the road, uh, but it's starting to work. Like it's starting to, to click. And, and this is, this is specifically in Europe is starting to work? This is specifically Europe? No, it's starting to, it's starting to, it's starting to work here. In America. No, no, okay. no! It's it's okay. starting to catch up in America. Okay. Yeah, no, but on the on the ride the lightning tour, that's where they do play their first Monsters of Rock festival. Um, okay, where they're playing like to seventy thousand people in you know Donington or whatever. I mean, they're playing like major festivals. They play um, kind of one of their bigger, more legendary shows was the day of day on the green, which is at Oakland Coliseum, the big stadium in Oakland. Um, okay where they played to a full Oakland Coliseum. I mean, there's like 50 or 60,000 people there. There's that's on YouTube. Damn. There's a lot of good video yeah. of, of Cliff playing, playing bass on that show. And, um, you know, that's like, that's a major that's show huge. for a band that's just yeah. put out their second album. 
Yeah, right. But that tells you they're in, following. In, I think at this point album, they're following the second album in a pretty obscure and like a little bit inaccessible genre, right? It's like a little. Mm-hmm. It's a hard, yeah. hard to get into that, you know. And you know, you and you and me, even had we been of age in Arlington, Texas, might not have really been aware <laughs> of them yet. But certainly, right. if you lived in certain parts of the country, I think at that point you started to know who Metallica was. Right. Um, definitely ever, in parts of California, yeah, you, you knew your, who Metallica Your brother's was. a few years older than us. Have you ever talked to him about this? Like, did he know of Metallica before he was, the Black no. Album? Or I don't know if he I don't know if he knew of them, but he was never into them. Okay, fair enough. And he's more into him now. He's he's more into him now, but in the eighties, no, he he wasn't into him at this point. I, right. I I don't know many people who were around and aware enough of the music scene in the eighties to have really known who Metallica was. Now, there's some people I listened to on the radio, and one guy who talked about the the Master of Puppets tour when they opened for Ozzy, and I'll tell you his story in a minute. Okay. Um, that definitely knew who they were and they were okay. definitely playing at this point they're still playing they're in that that phase where they're playing venues around the country like trees in dallas you know they're playing smaller venues still uh but they're selling them out they've got a good following um at this point they're making some money so now electra signs them now right. they've got a real record deal Okay. Um, they get a, a real manager for the first time. Because remember, these first two albums, they didn't have like some wizard producer or anything like that. Like, Which is they're crazy writing, to hear, producing, they're doing both, it themselves. I've heard both of those all the way through at least once, right? And they mm-hmm. are like, maybe they've been remastered or something or whatever, but I'm pretty sure I heard them before remaster campaigns really hit for 80s and 90s stuff. And man, these are solid mm-hmm. records. I, I would not think that they were recorded, you know, in some dude's like apartment or something. And it probably wasn't, but like, yeah, for, for whom the bells tolls, like I'm going to go listen to it real critically with my higher end stuff that I listen to and listen and be like, is this like not greatly recorded in some way? Cause that's, that's one of those songs. that's just like, I have accepted as like, you know, Joshua tree, you know, Led Zeppelin four level, the wall level, like perfect recording. And maybe I'm just haven't been critical of it, but like, it's wild to hear that this wasn't big, big fucking money already then, uh, behind making those songs perfectly recorded. That, that, that is one thing that's amazing is how a lot of those metal bands at the time, if you listen to that music, like it's really poor quality, you know, on top of everything else, it's just, it doesn't sound very good. Okay. And, to me, this stuff sounds amazing. Right. Yeah. Like they're they they nailed it. Yeah. Like they really nailed it. Um, it's also funny during this time they start using. Did you listen to that live album that I that I put on the list? I, I skipped through it a little bit, but I mean, I did you listen? Did, but you're familiar with their intro music? Yes. Um, yeah. The ecstasy I, of gold. They started using it during that tour. I did. I did listen to what uh, you said, which was listen to the intro off of the. Uh, what was it called? Is it called Through the Never? Through, through, yeah, yeah. Through the Never. Right, right. Yeah, Listen to the intro and then into the song, the next song, and everybody's singing the whole song. It's powerful, mm-hmm. man. It's pretty great. Yeah. They started using that intro music in 1983. They still use it what? to this day. The, the, the composer of that song just died like two days ago. Oh, no. Uh, and they, they put a nice uh, tribute to him. Like, you've been setting the mood for our shows for almost 40 years. That's crazy. Um, they always, yeah, always, they, always use it. Wow. Every and the fans sing along. The, you didn't really hear it in that recording, but especially in Europe, the fans like sing along to it. Like they're all going whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, like they're all. It's amazing. It's that's absolutely awesome. amazing. Yeah. Um. So and that's yeah. So they 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 get signed by Electra. 
they get a real manager. Um, now they're, I mean, they're, they're right. This is, I think this might be like their peak, like the writing, the music, um, they go in to make, um, what ends up being master of puppets. Right. And to, to cut to the end of the master of puppets story, like it's in the national registry of like culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant pieces of art. Okay. Um, it is generally considered one of the greatest metal albums of all time. Right. Um, it ended up number 29 on the Billboard 200, which for a metal album in 1986. Right. Um, Competing with the likes of like the... Twisted Sister and yes. Poison and Madonna. I mean, or you're pretty, you're, you're, if, if you're at 29, you're at least a little bit in the mainstream at this point. Right. Um, it was universally loved as soon as it came out, like rave reviews all the way around. But it's the first time they've had like a real record label with real money um, and, you know, real equipment. And like they are like they're able to do it for real for the first time, which makes the previous albums even more impressive uh, to me. Right. Um, um, Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets actually have a couple of Dave Mustaine credits, and that's because... They're songs that they had worked on when Mustaine was in the band, and so they gave him a writing credit. Interesting. Um, on those songs, so that's why you see some of that still even on Master of Puppets, even though right. he obviously had nothing to do with that album at all. Um, they went back to Denmark to record. Same place as before, or like a different studio? Different, uh, different studio, um, but um, 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 same you know same city, okay. Copenhagen. Okay. Um, they take like four months to record it. Okay. So like they take their time, they get it right. Um, a couple of fun, like fun facts, um, just from, uh, from the Wikipedia entry on Master of Puppets. It's, it was some of the stuff I knew, some of it I didn't know. Um, one was that Lars took drum lessons. Um, his <laughs> drumming, <laughs> to, man, great. to this day, to this day, people rag on him for not being a good drummer. Right. There's yeah, there's memes um, that are like, uh, you know, who do you think you think the less Lars is the best drummer of all time? And Hadfield, like as a joke or something, I think it's just made up. Says he's not even the best drummer in Metallica yeah. or whatever. So they, uh, Kirk Hammett worked with Joe Satriani to learn how to like record because mm-hmm. they knew they knew how to play live, but recording is a different animal. Um, so Hammett worked with Joe Satriani to learn just how to do it like in the studio. Okay. Um, they tried to get Getty Lee of Rush to produce it. Okay. And apparently Getty Lee was interested, but they never could work out the, um, the details. And so, um, okay. it didn't, didn't work out. Uh, so they got someone else to produce it. Someone I've never heard of. Producers um, Fleming but, Rasmussen. Um, I click on him. Yeah. I don't know who that is. That sounds like a Russian metal producer all the way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, he recorded a record by Rainbow. Um, he did. He did ride the lightning. He did master, masters of puppets and justice for all. Okay. Okay. All right. He did some Morbid um, Angel, which is, I guess, another metal band. Obviously, just listening to the name of the band. Uh, but that—that's pretty much it. Is like those. Are, it sounds like the highlights of this guy's career are probably ride the lightning, master of puppets, and justice for all. Anyway. 
so so they you know this is one thing that's funny that um that metallica is known for is like um you know during during this time when they're touring with like um when they're doing like this monsters of rock festival and things like that and the day on the green one thing that they've said is that they saw these other bands just get completely fucked up backstage okay um and they would be like on the plane with them in between shows and just see these guys passed out in the aisles. Right. And like that stuck with them. And I think they like they made it a point always like to play totally straight. Right. Like they were ready to play. Guns N' Roses said when they toured with them in the in the early 90s or the late 80s. Um, that was one thing Slash said in his book was that it was embarrassing being in Guns N' Roses because Metallica were like complete pros all the way. Right. Like they showed up on time. They were never messed up. Like they were, oh, they respected the stage really, really well. Um, and, and they did. And they did the same thing when recording. Like they, they like agreed not to like drink or do drugs on recording days. Um, like they took it really seriously. Right. And it, it shows. I mean, it shows because that is a very well put together, very succinct album. Um, that is great. I mean, right. It's a, it's a great album. Um, so they record it. Um, it, it comes out, it's big. Um, this is where they start playing like big shows. Um, they start playing like, um, arenas. Um, they book some larger venues that they'd never played before. And to be clear, get, this is this is non-festival circuit. This is themselves yeah, drawing these, they're these just playing. kinds of crowds on their own, headlining. And they were nervous about that, and it, it worked out. But I mean, um, they said, like Lars said, <clears> that like there was a point where um, their manager Cliff Bernstein, who's still their manager today. Um, you know, basically said like, we're going to put you in some arenas, some larger venues, some like, you know, 10 to 15,000 seat venues. And Lars was against it. He was like, I don't like, we're a metal band. Like metal bands don't do that. Right. We're not big enough. Right. And their manager was like, no, no, I've got a feeling about this. We're going to do it. So the first show they put up was like Indianapolis. And because <laughs> Lars was like, we could, we could get away with it in like Los Angeles or New York. Right. But you know, are we going to be able to crisscross the country doing that? And they put up Indianapolis, and Lars was like, "I don't know if we sold it out, but it was like eleven or twelve thousand people." And it was like, "Okay, if we can make it in Indianapolis, right. we can make it in right." And right, um, so they play the they start playing bigger shows, and this is where they get on the bill opening for Ozzy. Okay, and Ozzy at the time was big, but I think this is a real inflection point where the opener was almost bigger than the headliner and this is where a uh, they were they were a known they they were a known band by now most of the time oh yeah oh yeah when they're hitting these these tour dates or whatever it wasn't that they were like people like wow that's great and then walking home because they're like there's not gonna be better than that it was no they're they're a known band they're people who are into rock and roll at the time like current rock music and metal like black sabbath like the the, the type of fan who would buy a ticket to see Ozzy is probably very aware of Metallica at that point. Okay. And, like, this guy um, um, who's on a radio station here said he, he went to the show at Reunion Arena. And I've seen pictures of it before where you can see, like, there's a picture that went around not long ago that was, like, 
Metallica, and you could see behind the curtain uh, was uh, the big Aussie sign. Okay. And people are like, man, how weird is that? Like Metallica on their shitty opening act stage. Right. Um, with their curtain covering up Ozzy's stuff. Right. Um, and he said he went to the show and he saw Metallica. Metallica just blew the roof off of the place. And Ozzy came out and he's like, people left. And he said he left. He left after a few songs because he was like, this is such a letdown <laughs> after Metallica. <laughs> this is... Like oh, Metallica was clearly the better band at that point. I mean, Ozzy was not necessarily at his peak in the mid eighties. Um, but, uh, yeah, like that, that's a tour that still talked about is like such a weird time that Metallica was opening for Ozzy. Cause in reality, I don't know that it was necessary anymore. Right. That they do that. Right. Um, but they did, um, it looks like this and is so, this is probably the Bark at the Moon slash the Ultimate Sin tour. Oh yeah, uh, 80, okay. Well, Bark was at the Bark Moon at, is pretty big. Yeah, it is. Eighty three is the Bark at the Moon record, and eighty six is one called the Ultimate Sin, and it said that they toured mm-hmm. for both of them uh, in eighty six. Anyway, yeah. So they're they're touring. the The album is is like universally. Uh, revered still to this day, lyrically way advanced, even beyond uh, uh, Ride the Lightning. Right. Um, you know, musically even much tighter than Ride the Lightning. Just everything. And Kirk Hammett has said like, it was just. It's not like we went in to make a masterpiece. It was just we were just clicking. Like we were all getting along. Uh, yeah. We were all on the same page. Like it was just working. You know, they just. Right. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know if they peaked at that point. Um, but sure. it was it was working because if you hear the sessions for like the black album, yeah, that album ended up being much bigger than anything they'd done before. But man, those sessions sounded hard, like oh, really? really hard. Are, are there are there yeah. are there leaked sessions like sort of yes. in studio kind of like Let It Be style stuff or yes, oh, oh yeah, really? oh yeah. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of infighting, a lot of. You know, James oh, blew man. his voice out, and uh, no, well, the Black Album will be another discussion, and it's really interesting. Okay. It sounds like okay. Master of Puppets was just like, no, they just got in there, they got it done, they took their time, but it was, it was, it was, it was, it was just a, something that it was a fluid that, machine at that point, where they knew yes. what they were doing, and they're like you said, they're clicking, like they're just getting along perfectly, and and obviously, like you said, not maybe not peaking, maybe they are peaking, but they're at the top of their game, right? Yeah, what's funny about Metallica too when you listen to all of these songs, mm-hmm. they're all about like anger and isolation, and uh, there's there's political stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, there certainly are no love songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's there's no there's no ballads yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they got into some of that in the Black album, um, but I mean their lyrics got really deep. There are no songs about uh, Kiss. Kiss called it the sucking and fucking genre. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you exactly. know, there yeah. are no songs like because a lot of metal has that reputation also. Right. And glorifying drugs, glorifying there, sex, and whatever rock and roll there's lifestyle none of that. shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're not writing rock and roll and lifestyle I, You know, maybe that's what lends to Led Zeppelinness of it a little bit, right? Led Zeppelin has like stuff like whole lot of love from the beginning and whatever, mm-hmm. but later on, it like it, it developed into like less of the straightforward rock and roll bullshit and more of this like theoretical like to them it was a little bit more Lord of the Rings I thought a lot of the time or whatever but 
yeah, like like you're saying, like a little bit more classic than just mm-hmm. let's get drunk and fuck, right? Um, um, you have some really unique stuff like Master of Puppets, the song where the interlude, the what would be like a guitar solo, is like this super slowed down. Um, it's like a reverse guitar solo. Like okay. the song almost comes to a stop, and the uh-huh. guitar solo is this really slow winding melodic piece of music right that doesn't sound like it has any place in a metal song right and then it builds back into the song just stuff that you don't you don't do you don't hear it anymore. yeah 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 you don't do right. and they did it and it worked right and it was great right now they they they're done with the aussie tour uh now they're touring in europe um they're in sweden um they are um on a tour bus by this time they're making some money right and so their accommodations are probably nicer than they've ever been. But apparently during this tour, like they were complaining about the bus, like to their manager, okay. that the bus was not comfortable. It was cold. It was just not, not as comfortable as what they thought it should be. Sure. Um, they draw cards to pick their bunks and Cliff Burton draws like the ace of spades. So he gets first choice. He looks at Kirk Hammett and says, I want your bunk. And Kirk is like, all right, fine. This is very like Buddy Holly. Right, right. Like, okay. Um, you know, where they, they, I don't, they didn't draw cards, but they, uh, they did something to decide who got on the plane that night. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Cliff got the bunk he wanted. Uh, they're driving. And at like seven in the morning, the bus skids off the road, flips over. Uh, um, Cliff gets thrown out of the bus and he gets crushed by the bus and he's killed. Um, and, and this the is, bus driver this is after the card thing like in other words it was going to be curved. yeah yeah it, it was that night yeah. it was that night yes Jesus. exactly so okay. yeah he 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 just he, he gets crushed by the bus uh the band can see him under the bus oh my god um it's like horribly traumatic right um it's um uh, james is like in the behind the music james said he was like the bus driver was like black ice there was black ice sure and James said he just marched up and down the road going, where the fuck is the ice? Right. There's no ice on this road. Right. And other people around like corroborated that. They were like, there was no ice on the sure. road. And they think the bus driver was either drunk or he fell asleep. Right. And um, he was never charged. Um, I guess there was never any proof or evidence of that. Right. But, um, that, I think that's what it's generally believed is that there was no ice. He just sure. fell asleep. Right. Um. So, you know, this is the middle of a European tour, and I think this sets into motion a lot of what Metallica turned into and what leads to them having to get a therapist in the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, they don't, they don't deal with it. Like, they don't, they don't ever, you know, they're kids. Like, they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know what to, you know, what do you do when you're 23 and your bandmate for your band that's just making it huge just dies right in front of you um and do they they like do they just go home and stop touring yeah so this this was this was at like the end of september and they have said like literally within days they start holding auditions for a new bass player right i mean right away right and they, they decided pretty quickly that Cliff would not have wanted them to just quit. And I agree with that. Yeah, I sure. think that's probably true. Right, right. Fair enough. Um, yeah. 
But instead of taking some time off and just, no, like imme- like within days, they start auditioning new bass players. Um, now, I'll say this. They um, they still seem like uh, uh, Cliff's dad. I, is he, I don't know if he's still alive or maybe he just recently passed. But they kind of included him in a lot of stuff as a part of the band for a long time. Um, and they had like Cliff's dad at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And I think they remained pretty close with him through the years. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool that they did that. But, um, I mean, they just moved right on. I mean, you know, and they they find a guy. I think they already knew of Jason Newstead. Jason had been playing in some bands around L.A. Nobody big. Sure. But I think in the metal circles, you know who the players are, and I think he was one of the guys that right. everyone thought a lot of. Yeah, and I, I do know um, that uh, Les Claypool, who's a crazy bassist and very quirky and weird, also mm-hmm. was like um, auditioned. And uh, in, in in the mm-hmm. in the bio about them, he does mention because he he was uh, he went to school with Kurt Hammett, and he mentioned how like he he was in his own world, same kind of thing. They were doing okay, like pretty pretty big for what they were, which is re- weird, kind of like thrash uh funk or something weird or whatever and he just didn't really know what metallica was and maybe didn't give it much credence because he's like oh yeah it's my friend's band whatever you know like kirk's in it or whatever yeah. and he says he uh he toured or he, he went and did the interview or did the rehearsal with them and stuff and like he, <laughs> in particular i think it was uh is it for the boom for whom the bell tolls or it's one of these songs that starts with the bass and he goes in there and and james is like hey okay so we're gonna play this one and Les is like cool mm-hmm. and he just stands there and he waits for them to play guitar and they're <laughs> like the intro is the bass man and he's like oh okay well <laughs> and so this is, and he's like a great yeah. bass player he does great with them in general but his vibe is way not serious and just like this quirky dude who's like real like a total pothead you know i wouldn't say a jerk off because he's all business and really really straight and whatnot but um like just yeah. didn't take it very seriously which is like i think is funny but i mean maybe we're also talking about like this they just had a really big record and that's cool but it's not like it's not the metallica you and i know to get today right i maybe to jason newstead or some of the other people in that particular scene people would have been out of their mind right or whatever this guy in particular had his own sort of thing going um but it, it said that the, it says on wiki that it was he, he interviewed uh, famously he rehearsed uh, Jason Newstead obviously and then it mentions a guy uh, Troy Gregory of Prong um, yeah and I, maybe there's a couple others but yeah Les Playful is definitely a big one out of that and in, and at least in my circles aside from Jason Newstead being known because of Metallica like Les Claypool is like a big dude but anyway yeah so. Um... So, you know, the, he, Jason Newstead, um, you know, he gets, um, he gets hired in Metallica. Metallica took no time at all. Um, you know, their show, their last show with Cliff was at the end of September and their first show with Jason Newstead is in November. Jeez. Um, so, I mean, Man, it was that like, is just like, that's just straight up business. Let's just keep on rolling, man. I don't know that it was business or if it was just like, yeah, we, um, we, we're just, we're going to keep going. I mean, I don't know if it was like, you know, I don't think their backs were against the wall to go make a bunch of money right away or no, anything yeah, like exactly. that. No, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I mean, I, 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 guess, I guess you're right. Was, I mean, like, it, it's the age-old thing of, like, do you pause and wait and just sit around for a bit, or do you get on with life? And not necessarily yeah. one way's not one way's not necessarily better than the other, but, man, that's that's crazy. I can't imagine, like, a, a month and a half later be going through the motions, singing the songs again, looking to your right and seeing a ghost, you know? Oh, shit, who's that, you know? That's weird. Yeah, man. that's the thing. I, I, I just, I don't know how, I don't know how you do that. Certainly they wouldn't have done it like that today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but when you're, you know, when you're that age, mm-hmm. again, how do you, how do you handle things? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they, you know, this, this is a weird time cause they're, you know, they're touring with, with Ozzy. I honestly, I don't know if the Ozzy tour was before or after Cliff died, right. um, but it was in that same tour cause the tour never stopped. Like it was the Damage Inc. tour when all this happened. Like they started that tour with one bass player, ended it with another one. Man, um, you know they they had to cancel some shows, obviously, in the month of October. But I mean, they just got right back to it in November um, with with Jason. Um, so it you know it just picked right back up. Okay. Um, basically, when Jason gets hired, like man, they turn into evil Metallica. <laughs> like they're just horrible to him. Like they are complete assholes to Jason Newstead from day one. They like and they, they sort never of, stop. They, they sort of being like take way. it out on him, kind of right. Like, or, so, or he's just never part of the band, so to speak. Or yeah, he's like the runt. I mean, he's he's like the runt of the litter. Like they just treat him like the new guy, and they they haze him right um, relentlessly. But then they kind of never stop. Like up until the day he leaves the band. Um, 15 Man, years later, I'm looking like, at the track list here. Injustice for All has one track that he gets a writing credit on. The Black Album no. has one track he gets a writing credit on. That's pretty oh, it's, fucking It's worse brutal, than that. Man. It's 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 worse than that because we'll talk about Injustice for All. But just to give you a quick point on that, um, like they very famously like turned down the bass part and on Justice for All, so you really can't even hear it. Man, like you cannot hardly hear the what bass. A dick move, like, man. They just and like they take this him from like the he, band who, like you said, ten minutes ago or whatever, like moved their fucking houses to get so and so into the band, right? Yes. Like they they changed yep. their lives and wrapped it around this dude, and then they're just mm-hmm. like fuck whoever replaces him. Yeah, man. No, it, it was it was it was crazy. Um, they he said like right after he joined the band, they went like straight to Japan for a Japanese tour. Okay. And, like, they're at a sushi restaurant, and they tell Jason that, like, wasabi is, like, a Japanese delicacy, and you're supposed to take, like, a spoonful of it. Oh, my God. And Jason didn't know any better and, like, just eats a spoonful of wasabi, which I don't know what would happen if you do that, but uh, got to ruin your night. Yeah. Feels, it's going to feel like you're dying if you don't. Yeah. It's good yeah. stuff. Like, they just, do, they just do stuff like that. And, and to be clear, they the don't do that kind of shit to, to each other. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. They're just they just pick on the new guy. Yeah. Um, it's just how they dealt with with, you know, yeah. losing their bass player. Man. Um so they, they, they complete this tour, um, biggest tour they've ever done by far. Right. Um now they're legit. I mean, they're a band. I mean, they are they are established, um, they're well known at this point. And they go in to make And Justice for All. Okay. Um, and Justice for All, to me, I, Master of Puppets to me is much more listenable. 
um, to me, Man, and, and like Justice the, for All. Just to be clear, the writing credits is how money gets split, right? So like, oh yeah. So like, if you've got seven writing credits and somebody else has three writing credits on all the songs on the record, there's ten tracks. Mm-hmm. Some yep. whatever one quarter per CD gets split up ten ways. You get seven of the ways. Mm-hmm. The other guy gets three. So here's these tracks. Yeah. It literally has. Uh, there's one that's, that's on uh, Unjustice for All. One of them has Cliff Burton on it still because they had made it then or whatever. Um, all of them have Ulrich. Mm-hmm. All of them have Hetfield. And only like four or five of them have Ham- Hammond on them and one has Newstead. So this record, yeah. this record gets split up, you know, like whatever that is, 35 parts or something and one thirty-fifth of it or something is what Newstead gets when this record sells, when it sells 8 million copies. And I'm sure it's not zero or whatever. It's pretty fucking close to zero compared to other guys getting the other 34 parts of the the revenue from it. Well, there's it's not just the and writing I, credits. I, like, I, I, you I get, get it. He's like, not like He's not part of the family. He's not the person who made Metallica. Or right. Whatever. That's pretty and I think, a, I, I, I think a lot of this album was written before they brought him on. Like, uh, I think okay, they were writing okay. this album during well, the previous then, tour. But then the Black Album is the same thing, dude. It's like one song. Oh, I know. Yeah, anyway. Okay, fair enough. But but that's how... Now, I don't think it's I don't think it's exactly the way you described it. And I'm not... I don't claim to know exactly yeah, how yeah. these guys split up money. Right. Uh, there's a difference between record sales and music publishing. Yeah, um, that's true. And music publishing is where writing comes in. I think record sales is split up a little bit differently. Okay. Um, by the shareholders of the band, but even that, you'll you'll see. You know how bad they screwed up because when they brought in Jason Newstead's replacement, they did it totally different. Right, as they, like as seen in the documentary, scenes, where they're like, "You're part of the family, scenes, man. We're sorry." Yeah. Oh, they give him a bunch of money up front, yeah. and and you know they see him talking to the lawyers, and the lawyers like, "Okay, you're gonna get this." percentage this year and then and james is like man can we just split it four ways like can we just like what are we doing like that's just so clearly i mean they know they did it wrong um and but you know again if you're jason newstead and suddenly you're the bass player for metallica you still hit the lottery right regardless right you know um so okay (laughs) and justice for all uh comes out what breaks them into an even bigger band is the music video for one. Right. Because MTV would not play metal. I remember music. when YouTube first came out and my ex-wife was like, check this out. I had never seen that video ever. This is 2007 yeah. or eight or something. And it was like, I was like, oh, I've heard the song. The song is awesome. And like, you know, that, that was around the time people were starting to upload the music videos to whatever and you know you've seen them all or whatever you've seen smells like teen spirit a million times i never saw one and i was like man that is like a music video to end music videos that is hardcore it's yeah. it's a, like a fucking military like like documentary looking crazy like dark fucking music video it's great mm-hmm. it is um man it's it's dark um i i can't believe mtv played it right but they did right yeah you know this was back back when mtv played music videos <laughs> back in my day um you know but that you know listen if you were a band at that time and your video got big on mtv you were huge yeah you made it i mean yeah that was a huge litmus test right and um that that was a big part of what made them big 
um, more into the mainstream because now you had people who were not into metal who got into Metallica. Right. Like you had people who were just regular kids sitting at home watching MTV, um, you know, who saw God knows what come on right before then. And then here's Metallica. Right. And, um, uh, that album definitely broke them into the mainstream. It's another album that they play a bunch of the songs live still to this day. Um, it's, I don't know if it's an advancement over Master of Puppets. I, I don't know that it really is. Okay. Um, I think it's a continuation of. Right. Uh, really. It's one of those things that you, I, I listen to and I'm like, man, what if Cliff had been here for this? Right. You know, because I, I think here you see a little bit of a regression of it going back to just James and Lars and heavy guitar and drums. Right. Like, you see, like, the song Blackened, that's what it is, man. It's just heavy guitar and drums. Right. I mean, it's just speed, metal. Right. Um, I, I think they reverted into a little bit of that. Right. Um, uh, for that album. But, man, one was huge. A funny, funny thing that happened, and I remember this. I mean, I was seven, but I remember this being a thing that happened. Okay. Is that the Grammys created a new category for hard rock slash metal performance okay and and i know now that it's generally believed that they created that to have a place for metallica to win something <laughs> right. because they didn't fit they didn't fit into any other genre mm-hmm. but they were gaining so much steam that it was like let's find a way to work in these metal bands mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so they open the envelope. Alice Cooper opens the envelope, and the winner for best uh, hard rock slash metal performance is the new Jethro Tull album. <laughs> <laughs> the crowd is like silent. Like you can see Alice Cooper on the YouTube video, like, huh, <laughs> like that's weird. <laughs> that's, <laughs> Wait, uh, it's it's. I mean, yeah, people. I I just remember the time Jethro Tull beat Metallica, and I thought that's weird. Uh, I didn't know anything about Metallica, but I knew Jethro Tull was old. And yeah, um, and maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe I wasn't aware of it at the time, but I've been aware of that for a long time that that happened. And it's funny because a couple of years later, when the Black Album came out and they won. Uh, Lars, the first thing he did was he said, I'd like to thank Jethro Tull for not releasing an album this year. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) I mean, so, I mean, this is, this is it. Like they've, they've, they've made it big. Um, now they're playing big venues regularly, um, selling them out, um, they're not opening for anybody at this point. Right. They're still playing the big festivals, the big monsters of rock. Um, they are. Um, they're. They're established. They are the Metallica that we that we now know and love. Eight times platinum album. Um, again, another one of those albums that at the time I don't know how big it was at the time. I mean, it was big. It was mainstream. Um, but you know, obviously, the back catalog goes back. And gets even bigger and bigger. Right. Um, you know, so, um, you know, now they have a real record label, real distribution, a real touring apparatus. I'm seeing at um, least like a hundred. This has to be a probably 200 date tour. 150 at least. It, like I'm, I'm scrolling through this. It's called the Damage Justice Tour. And it like goes on and on. It goes October 7th, 89, all the way back to... 
September of 88. So it's a full year, and I'm not seeing a lot of dates that are uh, empty. Man. Oh, is this one of the ones that has the the attendance and everything? It doesn't have attendance, but it says 219 shows in one year. Damn, dude. Oh, jeez. Uh, let me look at some of the because they've got different U.S. tours playing such. Are you looking uh, at the damage? Are you looking at the damage justice tour? Right. Yeah. Such such big. Yeah. Such big markets as uh, Sioux Falls, Omaha, Rapid City, <laughs> Bismarck, Grand Forks, Cedar Rapids, Bonner Springs, Springfield, East Troy, Fort mm-hmm. Wayne, Noblesville, Mayors, uh, Clarkson, Cincinnati. There's the biggest market I've seen out of 20 dates. Oh man, this is a grueling. This thing. is this, this is another this is, one of those. This is when you know you have saturated the fucking market if you're pulling tickets at all in Jackson, Mississippi, or whatever. Man, brutal. This is another one of those things where they played twelve cities in Texas. Right. Yeah, here we go. 12. Here we go. L. Okay, and let me start at the top. Here we go. Waco, Odessa, uh-huh. Lubbock, El Paso, <laughs> Waco. Amarillo, Beaumont, Corpus Christi, Shreveport, yeah. Tulsa, Abilene, San Antonio, Austin, Houston, Dallas, Little Rock. Man, like back and forth, just huh? just just working on that alcoholic problem, man. That that happened. Man, and and uh. so that uh, th- this album, part of it is documented on the album um, Binge <clears throat> and Purge. There's a live album on uh, you can find it on Spotify called Binge and Purge. Part of it was done on the uh, Black Album tour. Part of it was recorded on this tour. Okay. Um, and um, I mean, man, they, man, they they were on it. Like you can tell, this is not a band who came to mess around on their live shows like they are loud heavy but tight really tight they're really 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 good at this point um they i think this is one of the tours where they played anchorage alaska (laughs) (laughs) which uh i'll be honest not many tours make it to anchorage man okay so that binge and purge is a good thing you mentioned that 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 is the box i was talking about that was like looks like a um, sort of a crew, oh yeah 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 box. It has three VHS tapes tapes in it, and it got re-released mm-hmm. as yeah. like a DVD or whatever. But it was this crazy thing. It had a CD and VHSs. It was, you know, the size of like a like a two x not two x but one and a half times the size of like a shoebox for sneakers. It was this huge mm-hmm. little box or whatever and stuff. The length of each of these uh, little videos, these it was like three different live shows in totality each of them three hours mm-hmm. metallica in mexico mm-hmm. san diego seattle all together the real run time is eight hours and 34 minutes the thing costed i remember mm-hmm. it costed like 120 or 140 dollars and like i told you this is years later this is 1998 this is 10 years i think after that box came out or oh, six years or something we would get one or two yeah. of them once in a while, and it would be gone within a day. I mean, not never could keep it on the shelf. There's always somebody being like, "Oh my god, there it is!" and grabbing it and being like, "120 bucks, just throw it down." I'm getting this fucking crazy ass VHS, triple VHS CD plus cassette plus weird other shit in there that's like you know rare tracks and stuff. It was I, I out of all the box set things I've seen in my life. That was the most impressive. That like, if I were a huge Metallica fan, that would definitely be on the mantle. You know, like family picture over to the side a little yeah. bit, and that thing was, sure. you know, awesome. Something you all gather around and uh, listen to at Christmas, or something. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Um, 
Absolutely. Yeah. I I mean, this is, you look at this tour, like they played a lot of these, like Dallas. I mean, they played Dallas twice on this tour, um, right. which not many within, bands can within do one in year. general. Within one year, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's yes. crazy. And once at, Re- once at Reunion Arena, which held about 18,000 for a concert, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. once at Starplex, which held about 20,000. I don't know if they sold those out or not, but they had mm-hmm. to have come close. I mean, by this time, they're in the mainstream. Yeah. Um, and this is what made this is part of what made the Black Album so big was that after this, there was so much anticipation for their next one. Interesting. And, you know, this is back in the days when... Um, you know, I don't know if anticipation builds like that for an album anymore. Right. Um, but then it did because it didn't get leaked. Right. You, you, there's no, you know, there's no super saturation to... of being able to get like no. tons of records all the time, anytime. You know? Yeah. You had to go, wait, you had to go wait in line. Cost of, cost of recording uh, records was in the, for a really decent one, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So the barrier to entry to have a decent record that had a widespread distribution was really high. You mm-hmm. didn't have, you know, 12 kids a day kicking out like a fairly well-recorded like home studio thing. They recorded with $2,000 of home studio equipment off Amazon, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, this at is this point, I mean, it's, it's big. <clears throat> I think at this point there's not really, they have. I mean, I, I mean, I think, go ahead. Sorry, no. I, I was going to say at this point, I don't think they've. I think they've broken past the metal genre. Um, right. They've just become a very popular rock and roll band. Yeah. Easily have broken out of that. You know, Slayer, Anthrax, right. um, Thrash, Iron metal. Maiden. Right. Um, you know, they're they're no longer. Um, in in that genre, even though I think they've come back to that a little bit in their later years. At this right. point, man, they are just a heavy, heavy rock and roll band. They are an '80s version of Black Sabbath, um, except without uh, I won't say without substance abuse, but with substance abuse that they keep uh, relegated to off days. Right, right. Um, Interesting. You know. And, yeah, yeah. And. There are some good videos from that tour, uh, you know, that binge and purge thing, the videos. I think there's a vi- there's an entire concert from Seattle from that tour. Yeah, that's um, in that, that that's also in that set. So if you buy that set, the DVD yeah. has that entire tour or that entire show as well. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. and these are long shows like yeah, man, three they hours. go hard. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Yeah, they go really hard and really fast and um, I, you know, I know right. Kirk said one time, like, I don't remember what song it was. I don't think even think he remembered what song it was, but he said after the last show on that tour, like he unplugged his, his guitar and he threw it down and he was like, I never want to play that fucking song again. <laughs> like, <laughs> just because think about these songs, man, they are not easy to play. Dude. And I was and, noticing the ones you sent on there. And I mean, the, this is fairly true through the track list. They're a five plus minute song band, often seven yes. and eight minutes, like every single song. We were talking about tool last week about how all of their shit was six and seven minutes long. It's, it's the same mm-hmm. thing where it's like, like I said, it's intricate. It is not the like, hey guys, let's hit a couple of chords over and over and have some real fun. It's 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 it, they're a slave to the music, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it, pays, it pays off. It's fucking classic, right? You oh, know, yeah. I mean, Blink One Eight Two songs might be classic too. A few of them because of the time they came out or whatever and stuff, but. Um, Mm-hmm. It's it's different. It was like we were talking about a few weeks ago, where like a Tom Petty song fills in all of the oral spectrum that you can hear 
and it's still just a pop song or whatever, and it makes a difference. And I, I can understand that for sure. Where this is like, it probably feels like a job up there, especially two hundred fucking shows in one year. Is that that's some weekends that aren't off? You know, that's that's pretty brutal. Oh no, right? That's not like you know when Bob Seger tours, he's got like two or three days off in between right. every show, right? Exactly to rest his voice. Yeah, man. Um, there was none of that, man. These guys are playing, you know, three, four, or five nights in a row, right? Um, not going home. Um, I've heard Kirk Hammett say that after a tour, it might have been this tour that like you get home, and he said it's actually it's you're depressed, and right. they they call it taking they call it taking out the trash syndrome, where right. you know you're on tour and everything is done for you, and then you get home and you have to take out the trash, right? And for the last year and a half, you haven't had to worry about things like that, right? Because you've been on the road, right? Um, you've been in limos and private planes and hotel suites right and um i mean they're they're living it up yeah they're living it up at this point right and um good stuff you know this this sets the stage um this is the last album they do with that producer fleming rasmussen right um this is uh the last time they use him um this is um you know, this is really what bridges the gap between a metal band and a mainstream wildly popular rock and roll band who you know kind of escapes the genre right so this is this is it this is the last thing they do before the black album and all right probably uh, gonna, where we should we'll, we'll, where we should stop yeah we'll hit that one next week but meanwhile i mean we got this usual thing we kind of do towards the end and it sounds like oh this yeah is a big enough band right mm-hmm. okay oh. out of this stuff somebody trying to get into metallica which mm-hmm. record out of these four uh, either man because I love Ride the Lightning but I gotta say Master of Puppets but I think Master of Puppets would have more appeal to most people sure but yeah. I, I mean, when I think of Metallica in terms of appeal in general Black Album is the go-to mm-hmm. and Master of Puppets is number two and then like Load if, if you're into yeah. it Load is like number three my personal opinion that's probably skewed or whatever based on what I am you know my particular history of fandom and whatever but like i think that i think the master of puppets also it, black represents a certain push towards a whole different level of what metallica is and how it sounds and master of puppets is this perfect blend that's right between those you know like right, it, it is and i think if you like I, it you might like I, all of it you might like everything that came before and right after and everything even in the future um it is it's i think it's, i think it is i think it's peak metallica personally but um I think if we're talking about just the albums that we're talking about today, yeah. I would lean towards Master of Puppets. If we're talking about the entire catalog, uh-huh. um, I almost consider it two different bands. Really? I mean, I really think you would have to say, listen to Master of Puppets yep. and then listen to the Black Album. Yep. And and then listen to Load. Right. I mean, those are three very different yeah, albums absolutely. that came in succession. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. Metallica. When are we listening to Metallica? When it, uh, when's the appropriate time? Um, and in particular with these you know, records, because you know, like something like Fuel, obviously, is like a you're driving down the road in a hot rod, wishing you could afford cars that James Hetfield <laughs> collects, you know, or whatever, right? right? Uh, but but th- these genres of songs, this sort of metal going stuff, this is, this is workout music, right? I mean, it ain't it ain't whiskey oh, yeah. in the dark, you know, contemplative. 
right? No, no. This is uh, yeah. It, this is high energy stuff. Uh, when it's high energy music for when you're doing high energy activities. You know what I mean? You hear me? You hear me? No women involved, um, obviously, ever. So it's not those kinds of high energy. Yeah, no. Uh, not a lot of women at Metallica concerts, by the way. Not yeah, a lot. Yeah. Um, I've been to a few Metallica shows. Uh, it's mostly men. Yeah, um, yeah, I imagine so. I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> no, it's... You know, I, you definitely when I'm when I'm running on the treadmill or something, yeah. it's it's Metallica if you're running around the neighborhood or something. Yeah, I, I remember as a kid, um, um, after Load came out, it was a couple of years later. We had the computer and got MP3s and was downloading them and stuff and like playing, just like this constant playlist of like One and Fade to Black and Sanitarium and uh, Seek and Destroy and whatever. And that was what I would play listening while I was like playing uh, Quake like fragging other dudes going playing first person shooters and stuff it's definitely yeah makes a great soundtrack for yeah for aggression basically right it's uh it is yeah. and it's uh you know the, the the dallas stars hockey team i mean they were known to blast metallica in the locker room before games the year they won the stanley cup right um you know it's it's that kind of music that's true that's what it is um I don't know if I drive around listening to Metallica a whole lot, yeah. um, uh, but man, anytime I have a chance to see them live, there, there's stuff I later. There, there's there's definitely some tracks later that I could see a good groove. There's one called "Bleeding Me" yeah. on uh, "Load." That, oh yeah. man, that yep. song is fucking awesome in so many different mm-hmm. settings. Like it is, it's a long, slow burn that is so fulfilling. But we'll get to that one yeah. later. Um, yep. Okay, yep. we talked about sort of the albums if i'm gonna to listen to one song out of these records what's it gonna be is it gonna be fade to black sanitary like seek and destroy I... what's the one that's representative though i think seek and destroy is pretty good pretty good representation for whom, for whom the bell tolls yeah to me is the one that checks every box okay I, I that's the one if, if you told me of all the ones we talked about just today yeah um, if you told me just pick one song yeah you gotta jam out to that one it's usually gonna be for whom the bell tolls I think that's a fair choice I'm changing mine that, yeah. that's mine too <laughs> cool and I and I saw I've got a good video of last time one of the no not last time but one of the times I saw them live three or four years ago at the Cowboys Stadium and it was the second or third song they played and man they just it just kills right it kills every time right Okay, um, we're gonna skip the bank account thing. It seems like at any point, maybe a kill. All, <laughs> They're doing fine. Maybe a kill them all stage. Maybe it'd be questionable, but it seems like after that, it's uh, everybody would be glad to try bank accounts with any of these guys. Um, yeah, once once you get to Master of Puppets, they are, I think, financially secure. I've even heard their manager say, like, Master of Puppets changed their lives. Yeah, exactly. Like that, everything who, changed after that. Who would you kick out? Through this whole era, Lars. obviously Mustaine, Lars, Lars, Lars yeah, Lars. Okay, quite. here's the thing. I don't mean, I, I don't I don't mean to get ahead of ourselves, but for any of the other eras of Metallica, would it also be Lars? Well, here's the thing, uh, because if you threw out Lars right now, I think fans, I think it's too late to throw anyone out, uh-huh. um, except maybe the bass player, mm-hmm. even though he's been in the band now for almost 20 years himself, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Trujillo, like he's been in the band longer than any other bass player. Mm-hmm. Um, but that has been the one interchangeable part right. through the years has been the bass player. Right. Um, but the band is Lars and James. I mean, yeah. that's who writes the music. That's who writes the lyrics. Right. But Lars is probably, without question, the least talented musician 
of all of them. Um, before but, Cliff but died, that, but is that a pr- before is Cliff that... died, they were going to fire Lars. Like they what? were, gonna, they were James and Kirk and Cliff were about to fire Lars before Cliff died. Like wow. that was going to happen. What? And other other people who were around Metallica at the time have said like, yeah, they talked about it, but I think cooler heads would have prevailed and they probably wouldn't have done it. Wow. Um, that's but great. That's, that's been the out best, there. That's the stick story, man, where it's like, dude places an ad in a fucking local circular or whatever you call those. Guys br- yeah. join the band. Band becomes the biggest thing in the world. And because of tragedy, he is not kicked out of his own fucking band he started. Yes. Oh my yes. God. That was that was going to happen. You know what? That, I, that, I, I, that's another little wrinkle I hadn't heard of that makes this whole some kind mm-hmm. of monster thing coming up pretty fucking, uh, you know, understandable how they got into the mess where they're like needing therapy and just completely yes. dysfunctional. That's that's fucked up, man. You could theoretically say, you know, an, any other. Uh, listen, Kirk Hammett's a great guitar player, but there are probably a thousand guys in Los Angeles who could replicate those guitar parts. Oh yeah. Um, and you could get another guy up there. Yeah. To me, <laughs> the, the, if you... The Les Claypool it, biography thing talked a little bit about him. And he said it's the weirdest thing because uh, Kirk was like the Coke bottle glasses kid in yeah. high school. He's like the most appreciative guy of all time of like he mm-hmm. was just the nerds nerd dude yeah, or he's whatever. A, he's a super he's a super nice guy. Yeah. yeah. He's u- universally everyone says like he's a really really nice guy. Right. Um he's really into like, like I mean he's really into like old like horror movies and stuff and he collects skulls and you know he's really into the whole death thing. Right. Um but he's also really soft spoken and really nice and Right. Um and I think it's kind of all for show. Right. Um he loves to surf. Right. Um, but man, it would it would break my heart to kick him out. Right. Because he's such a nice guy. Right, exactly. I would hate to see that. And to me, he's just, he's Metallica. Yeah. Like, you can't kick him out. Right. So I think, look, if James left, there's no more Metallica. Right, if Lars if the bass player, if, if, if the bass player left, you'd probably be okay. Yeah. Um, but if Kirk or Lars left, um, the band could continue, but I think it would be... It would be cheapened. Yeah, definitely. But 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 personality wise, Lars. Yeah, Lars would be the guy to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, it's like who would you fire? Who would you fire from you too? Well, Bono, of course. <laughs> right. <laughs> definitely. That's one of those ones that doesn't make sense. I wonder if they. I wonder if they manage it the same as Metallica does. There's never been a Bono solo album, and if there was ever a guy who's douchey enough to be like, I'm going to go make my own career, fuck all these guys, you would think that he's one of those guys. That's an interesting. Yeah. That, that's an interesting insight because I know, especially in some kind of monster. To me, I thought that was a uniquely Metallica thing, but maybe it's not. Where they're basically were telling the new bassist that part of the reason the old bassist was out, kind of, was that the old bassist was like, "Hey, I want to do this other side project while we're on hiatus," and they're like, "No, no, no." There is nothing besides Metallica in your life or any of our lives or something, you know, um, like a real brand conscious thing. Um, so the last thing we have um, is because we talked about a lot of the drama and whatever is sort of the uh, there's a couple of things here, which is uh, people who are getting into this era. We mentioned the whatever it's called live shit binge and purge thing is a pretty cool mm-hmm artifact outside of the records and stuff there's a bunch of like eps i'm seeing in the middle of this and stuff do you do you have any comments on any of those it's like a four dollar 98 something or other i don't i don't know uh the garage days revisited um 
I want to say they did, they've done this a couple of times where they'll do a, like an album of like covers of like old metal songs that they really love. Okay. Um, I've never really gotten into them. There okay. was another Garage Days that they did um, in the 90s. That's the one that had Turn the Page. Right, the right. The Seeger song. Right. Um, you know, so they did that again. But I... I don't know. It's not yeah. something I've ever gotten into, but they play they play those songs sure. um, live. They, you know, they they won't hesitate to go play an old you know metal or punk song or something on you. Um, right. Okay. You know, they played uh, somewhere around that time. It was either Black Album or Injustice for All. Like they played the Freddie Mercury tribute concert because um, there was you know some old Queen song that they really love and. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what those are. Okay. Uh, obviously, yeah. documentaries-wise and whatnot, we'll talk about some of those in the future, but the behind-the-music kind of covers this era quite a bit. I seem to remember when I was a kid. It covers this era. My only problem with behind-the-music is that, man, those were all done in, like, 2001, 2002, maybe even before then. Right. Um, and I'm curious now to go back and watch them and see how much they would change that story today. Yeah, sure. Um, cause man, they were kind of right in the middle of it still. James wasn't sober yet at that point. Right. Um, you know, I, I think they would look back on that time. My dog. Um, <laughs> I think they would look back on that time and maybe describe it differently today yeah, fair than enough. they would, you know, than they would have at the time. Right. Okay. Um, this era Metallica, what other bands are like this? What do we have? I guess there's like Megadeth sort of, right? Uh, yeah, but did Megadeth ever really get into the mainstream? Not really, but I, it did ish. There's a couple of songs that hit. I but it doesn't really necessarily matter is it that big, but just like I I don't know. Like I somebody has told me, I think it was Jane mentioned once that like Godsmack is uh, Metallica for rednecks, you know, or whatever. <laughs> there's there's definitely some bands that are kind of derivative of it. I'm just having a hard time. It, it's because it's sort of like the whole thing of like saying who's influenced by Led Zeppelin. And it's like anything that came after Led Zeppelin, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, the bands, the, the big hard rock band, I, I think of bands that, um, you know, hard rock bands that started to get big in the, um, in the early 2000s, like Saliva. You know? Right. Okay, that's true. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or... or um, who just did the Sounds of Silence? What is that band that just covered that song? Oh, I don't um, know. You know, you you'd know them. I can't think of the name right now. Anyway, um, uh, Disturbed. Disturbed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. That's enough. Um, you know, bands like that. Um, you know, uh, people hate them, but I mean, Nickelback, right? Like, gladly talks about how Metallica were their heroes. Right, right. You know? Definitely. Um, so I think it's fair to say, yeah, any hard rock slash metal that came after Metallica. Uh, certainly was influenced by them, um, but I to me it's hard to find a real peer. Like when they go tour, because they'll do these monsters of rock shows today, where sure. it's like Slayer, Anthrax, Megadeth, Metallica. And Metallica certainly is the headliner of those shows. I mean, yeah, easily the biggest, right? Definitely of all of those. Right. Um, there's no like, there's no universe where Megadeth is going to go on and close the show. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, they, they just, I, I, I'm trying to think of another band that, that was, um, 
that really crossed well, over. And here's the, the thing: it's like, like they did. I, I don't know that they, there is. One. They don't compete with you too because they're totally different like genres of music, right? But like mm-hmm. they are the one that's the U two of that genre of hard rock, whatever. There are some bands that definitely have a legacy. Guns N' Roses went for a few years and stuff. Metallica, I mean, say what you will about the Black Album being a sellout point or Load being a sellout point. They're a 40-year-old institution who has kept on going. And some people would say, you know, Led Zeppelin knew when to stop and stop making records or whatever. And Metallica kept mm-hmm. on. And even like, and I I, I got to argue, I think they survived. I, I think that Load, I, I love Load. And maybe it's because I was- I 16, do too, yeah. Maybe it's because I was 16 at that time. Maybe it's because I was a product of Arlington, Texas, rather than some cool place like L.A., or whatever and stuff but like like it's it, i think it stands up i think there's some really good music on that record and stuff and there's not a there lot is. of bands that like you know transcend class the first three or four records they do and then keep on going and like getting sales yeah. and, and even anybody giving shit about them in the media or but anything you know right? why that is you know why? why that is because this and this is why they're so different sure this is why it's hard to find a peer because if you listen to the most recent Megadeth album and the first Megadeth album, uh-huh. I don't know that you can tell them apart. <laughs> a Megadeth fan, a Megadeth fan could, sure. because and right. they'd be so mad at us right now for saying that. <laughs> um, you listen to you know um, you know to Anthrax's most recent album and their first one, and I'm I, I just think Metallica, even though they were accused of being sellouts, did um, allow themselves to evolve and change. Yeah, with with the times as necessary yep. and you saw some of the heavy production start to kind of go away yep. the filtered voices that they had on the first few albums yep. uh, went away by the time they did load and reload yep. um, you know they they allowed themselves to change and here's another thing that's different i know i joked like there are no women in metallica concerts but right. um there are definitely there, there were definitely like girls in high school in the early nineties who were like, man, I love the black album. Right. And I have never met a female of any age. Who's like, I love Megadeth. Right. Never. Right. Like the, no, none of those other bands had anything that crossed over. Right. It's so much into the mainstream. Right. Um, at all. Totally. And, and that was to, to their detriment in some way, because it did, um, open them up to accusations of selling out and whatever. I think that's bullshit. I think right. that's stupid. Yeah. Um, if you want to go hear uh, Iron Maiden play the same shit over and over again for two hours, they're that's happy fine. to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same thing go, with the Megadeth. And I, Megadeth is and always I, the Megadeth. It's always the same. Yes. If you want that, then yark yourself out. But like I, it, it's refreshing. Metallica has a lot of different stuff. I will say this, like you know, my smash, my favorite band, Smashing Pumpkins. They changed quite a bit, and I didn't personally like the way they went. So I can understand that concept of selling out, or whatever people call it, of being like, man, that sucks. It wasn't that I just necessarily wanted the same thing they were doing, but the place they went to is not my bag. And I can see a guy who's into you know speed metal, my friend, who like his favorite record of all time is Kill 'Em All. I'm not going to get that guy to listen to Load, except for like to just kind of like tolerate me and, and do me a solid. You know, whatever from listening to Kill yeah. You know, I, I, I know I people. I, I feel that. I know a dude who is like in his mid fifties, who's got like a gray haired ponytail, <laughs> who still goes all over the world to these metal music festivals. Right, right. And I'm like, man, I can only take so much of that. Right. But a, a Metallica show is very different. 
that's yeah. not what it is. I mean, yeah. it is, it's metal, it's hard rock, but yeah. there's enough variety in that music where I don't feel like I'm getting my head beaten in over and over right. again. Right, right. same stuff. And this dude, like, if Steel Panther comes to town, he's going. <laughs> like, he's, he doesn't give a shit. Is like, that VFW uh, every weekend night? <laughs> kind of, you know, and there, you know, I mean, there, there's a place for those bands. Kids don't care for them. Right. Like, I don't know any kids who are into metal. Right. Uh, at, at all. Right. But if you go to a Metallica show today, I mean, Metallica headlined Austin City Limits two years ago. Yeah, hugely. I was, I was, I was there. Seventy thousand person. You said that was one where it was Metallica one night and Paul McCartney the next night, right? Yeah, they said there were four hundred thousand people. Jesus, like four hundred thousand tickets were sold. Right. I don't know that they were all there for both nights. Right. Um, they certainly were not, but they right. said it was the biggest, biggest one they've ever had. Right. Right. And um, that, might, that might count both weekends too. They do this. Was that were they doing that at that point? Where they do this thing where it's like one weekend. They do and two the next weekend. Yeah, they do two weekends. So that it, that might have been. It seems like that was a weekend count, though. I, I don't, I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, I could be wrong whatever. about that. But yeah. even still, on that same tour, I mean, they they played the Cowboy Stadium. Um, you know, when they put that tour up for sale, um, they Lars said like we were nervous about that because we hadn't played stadiums in a while. Yeah, we weren't sure how it would go over, and boom, they sell them most of them. They they sold out. Uh, there was not a seat to be had in that enormous That's crazy, new, man. not new anymore, 10 years old, but the, the Cowboy Stadium holds 70,000, 80,000 people. Man. And, you know, That's not every hard. seat was full because the stage, you know, they don't sell behind the stage and all that. But sure. so I think the count was like 50,000 or something like that. But still, 50,000 yeah. people. Man. Um, the Pumpkins could not fill up the American Airlines Center, the arena in right. downtown no, yeah. when I was there. Yeah. They curtained off the top section. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, but I mean, that's and, a, that's I mean, a band that's tanked their legacy. Right. And, and it's almost on purpose. Like, right. yeah, right. Exactly. That's a whole nother, uh, Metallica discussion, but yeah. 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 Have, one, these guys have, one thing that Metallica, I, think, I, I think something that's very interesting about them and endearing is that like, Despite all of the shit, these guys, and despite them being like, like uh, I guess objectively assholes, like Lars doesn't seem like a guy I want to get a beer with. James seems no. interesting, but like pretty egotistical and stuff and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But despite even even with those personalities, those personalities have given them, I guess, the power to just keep on marching through and marching forward to whatever their the beat of their drum is and how it changes and whatever without giving a fuck, without apologizing, and they just keep on going straight forward, and it's worked. And they and yeah. I think I think a big component I did not know that you said that they're basically all business when it comes to like the drugs and alcohol and stuff. But like when it's business time, that shit stops. Right, and obviously later yeah, it's going to get we'll, out of control in terms of the timeline. But yeah. for the most part, that's that's a that's a key cornerstone to keeping this shit together, right? And giving it a, a solid foundation, right? I mean, if yeah, and we'll we'll talk about how that that goes off the rails and then back on the rails, and sure. how they're they're all pretty straight laced now. Uh, there are some rumors that on this most recent tour, um, things kind of went back. <laughs> To being a little off the rails, yeah. Um, at times, there's some fun on some of the subreddits out there, yeah. Um, that's awesome. of, of people who claimed like, oh, I know someone on the crew, and Kirk was doing coke the entire tour. Whatever. Right, I don't know. sure. Um, right. But they're, I, I think, through the years, they've all pretty much cleaned up their act, and the, and they are, they're just all. But you, you will never, ever, ever see a Metallica show where someone is fucked up on stage. Yeah, never, never. Yeah, which is you know. Yeah, it's consistent, right? Consistent, and even yeah. though they are changing, they will they will always bring you a good show. They will always, you know. Um, 
One question: uh, the Guns N' Roses St. Louis show is that that's post Black Album, right? Yeah, okay. we're gonna spend some time on we'll, that we'll one. We'll get there. Uh, next okay. Week. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Okay, and then so then the, the, yeah. the last question is: I, I I really do feel like Metallica is one of those this era and that era band. So mm-hmm. for this era, these four albums and whatnot, this version of Metallica, where do they sit for you? For me, this ver- this version of Metallica is probably maybe top 100, personally. The Black Album onward is probably top 30, I would say, maybe 40 or something. But, like, they're mm-hmm. not... They are huge. They are iconic. They, they are really, really big. I, some of their records I will get into, like, a weird... You know, I have to listen to it over and over and over over a period of a couple of months or something, you know? Just I cannot get away from it and whatnot. But it's just not... Uh, whatever it just doesn't stick to me that much and master puppets is one of those ones where like yeah man i've listened to it probably five or ten times on my own and then there's been times Mm -hmm. hanging out with some buddies where they're gonna play you know um and justice for all or ride the lightning or master puppets or or kill them all or whatever and i'll listen and it's cool and stuff but it's just not yeah not even top 100 for me what about you this era and just maybe even the overall era no, this is this is this is probably top twenty for me. I say of, of all the Metallica that I listen to, uh-huh. um, I probably listen to this era as much as any of the others. Really? Okay. Um, I listen. Um, I I think as a whole, something like Master of Puppets or Ride the Lightning stands up to anything else they've ever put out. Okay. Um, and I, it, it's, it's top 20 for me. If you put, if you put them, they're probably top 10 for me if you include the entire catalog. Okay. Um, but if we're just talking this era, Man. um, it's still, it's still top 20. The only thing that keeps them, that keeps this era from being higher is just that the older I get, the less interested I am in listening to really hard, fast music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's, uh, I don't know how they still oh, do the joys I don't know how they still old. play these shows. Yeah. I have no idea. Because right. uh, I, I, you know, that's the, if I were like in my 20s, because I, I wasn't really into them in my 20s, but if I was, I probably would have been way more into this era. Right, right. Uh, or especially as a teenager. Have you been able you know? to pass the torch? Oh, yeah. My, my son, my oldest, has seen Metallica twice. Okay. Um, once in the Cowboy Stadium and once at AC. Reload is that allowed in the house or is that? He's actually one of those who he's done enough reading to know that it's not cool to like Reload, <laughs> even though he does. <laughs> but he 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 likes Load, and he was really disappointed because we've seen him twice and they haven't played Key Nothing uh, either time. Oh he really man, loves that song. That song is one that sticks um, in your head like no other. It's it, Jane. Uh, Jane had an insight to it. It's Inner Sandman. If you listen to it, it is. It's Inner. You're Sandman. right. No, I've like one note off or something is a little bit different. The now. structure, yeah, the structure is exactly the same. Even, right. even, even to the end of the song where they kick back into the riff and when he you says, think the song like, is over. Yeah, at the very end, he says something. Uh, what does he says? That that it is a callback to Inner Sandman. Um, yeah, I, I forget. It, it's some weird thing. Okay. It's like it, at the very end of that song. But yeah, but maybe that's why they don't play it. Is because it's basically Inner Sandman Part Two. But man, that song gets stuck in my head more than Inner Sandman does. It is awesome. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I, they, I mean, listen, they got really good at writing hooks. Yeah, um, as they got along, right. Yeah, as they definitely. got as they as they moved along. Yeah, um, you know they they got good, and I I just don't think there's any sin in playing what fans want to hear. No, man. And, that, and that's how they're keeping it together uh, and playing okay. stadiums, man. 
Nobody cares about, you know what? I got a bootleg the other day that was like the, I think Damage Inc., Maybe mm-hmm. like like they they played apparently several shows that were like uh, release parties or something. Yeah, and um, the, the they played a song off Saint Anger. You might know the single. I don't know what it was, but they literally were saying, uh, "We know you guys don't like this song, but we're playing it anyway," or whatever. It was yeah. I forget which song it was, but it was interesting because like yeah, they they could go ahead and be like, "We are not going to play." Um, anything not damaging what is that record death magnetic sorry death magnetic oh yeah yeah. they could just be like we're gonna play our new record top to bottom and we'll play inner salmon at the end or whatever and they would be back Mm -hmm. to playing you know little clubs you know or whatever and uh, yeah as a business as a brand this band maybe they're not as transparent as kiss was but when you were telling me all that stuff about kiss a few episodes ago i was like man Mm -hmm. this is metallica and you two on the inside they're just not as transparent about it they know what they're doing (laughs) They're, they're professionals. No, they, they, they're, not, yeah. they're not just little artists who are like, oh my God, my art and me and my legacy of who I am and, and what changes I've gone through. They're like, no, I'm, I'm part of this machine, right? That it, it, as I'm sure it's a constant uh, push and pull of that, of your ego and your legacy well, versus, you know, keeping, keeping the machine going and stuff and doing what's... Yeah, you know, and, and there's, a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, and I, I've seen him talk about this, how, you know, there's also a lot of crew that depends on them. Yeah, dude. Hundreds of people, um, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. It's a multi... These guys are CEOs of a billion-dollar corporation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, they, and they run it like that. Mm-hmm. And they treat it that seriously. And um, they, they care for it like that. And they're protective of it. And mm-hmm. um, they don't want to see it fade away. And I right. think they see what has happened to other bands. They right. see how Guns N' Roses fucked it all up. Yep. And... Thankfully, we're able to come back, but how many years did they miss because right. they couldn't keep it together? Right, um, and that's why they're—that's why they don't do solo albums because they're very protective of the brand, right? Of the Definitely. brand of Metallica. Yeah, um, but they, um, you know, they—they, you—you're not going to see like a nice slowed down, um, you know, acoustic Metallica album. You're not going to see. Well, you there's actually a live album that they say, have out there. Like a chari- the there's a charity year. show. Yeah. No, there's a charity show that's called like Helping Hands, and it's acoustic. But but yeah, it's like, like a live thing that got recorded. Like, it's pretty fucking rad, by the way. I liked it quite a bit. But you, is it just? It's, it's is great. It just, but like, is it just Hetfield, or is it like the whole band did that? No, no, no. It's the whole band. Yeah, okay, it's the whole really. band. Okay, it's cool. Um, it's cool. But you have like, but you it's see, not, like, it's not a live album where like we're gonna write everything. We're gonna write a country record or anything. You know, it's just no, 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 nothing like that. But you see. Like like Noel Gallagher put out a couple of solo albums that sound a lot like Oasis and they're great and I love them. Right. And then his third solo album is like pure electric, like it's like EDM type music. What? Um, it's it's unlistenable. Right. It's so bad, and right. I'm so mad that he did that. Right. And but he just he's rich and he doesn't care. He's going to do whatever he wants to do, and I hate him for it. Like I'm so mad <laughs> yeah. that yeah. he's like, right? Don't look back in anger again. Like write another Oasis song. Right. Come on, man. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go see him live play that shit. Yeah. Um. I and and Metallica is midlife. They, they know that. midlife crisis, man. He'll be back. And I think Metallica also the '90s scared them a little bit. I think they saw popularity waning, and I think oh yeah. They, I think it scared them enough yeah, to say we don't they, we don't want to go back. They there. weren't quite it, but they're at least on the fringe of that whole hair metal bullshit that was going on. That that 
in particular Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all of that was like the yes. back slap against it, right? The tide is coming well, out. That is not cool anymore. And, and, they, and, and they talked about, and they saw other bands implode. They saw Van Halen implode. They saw Guns N' Roses implode. Right. Like, um, they, man, they were very good at avoiding right. those mistakes. Yep. And the 90s, I can't wait to talk about the 90s <laughs> and how they just became bigger than any genre. And, right. Um, how they adopted God, I'm gonna how go it listen made, to how right it made, how it, how it made people mad yeah we could do this again tomorrow I'd be fine with it um, <laughs> you know it just it, but how it made people mad but it, the people it made mad were not in large enough numbers to make any difference whatsoever <laughs> right yeah um, you know so it didn't really matter um, yeah. because man once you start getting played in skating rinks you're in you know <laughs> well, you're in it's skating rinks it. in the 90s in particular which is a waning Absolutely. sport and a very small niche skating yes. rinks in arlington texas of all places in 1997 that's yeah. you're that's 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 full saturation you're kind of you're kind of a yeah. sandwich there you know breading in the titanic songs of celine dion a little fade to black uh, a little my heart will go on and then one you know it, it's 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 full market saturation at that point well, as a, as a, a skating rink DJ in the '90s, I was a bit of a, uh, a, a kingmaker, some might call me, and I, I do take credit. I do take credit for breaking the Black Album. Uh, yes, yeah, seven years after it and, came out. Uh, yeah, yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Oh, right, right, so, definitely, definitely. Cool, man. Yeah. Well, this so, has been great. Uh, um, so, so next week we're gonna we think we're gonna talk uh, primarily about sort of the Black Album through the documentary, or just the documentary. What, what are you looking for? I think we got to talk about the Black Album load and reload and then um, the documentary they, like we have to just kind of do the 90s the next one yeah and then I think that's another right. one just on the documentary that's because cool. i can go on and on that's great i fucking love this documentary me too um it I is an artifact it like when i when i tell people any kind of music documentary to watch or whatever it's Spinal Tap and then, you know, basically Spinal Tap 2.0, which is some kind of monster, sort of, right? And, but it's also, it's so good because it's real. It's, 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 it's yeah. the takedown of the, the rock and roll star and they're like just doing it. Like, they're, they're, it's just what it is. It's how life yeah. works. It's, 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 it's magnificent. I would kill to see that same documentary on so many bands I love. There, there's all these little pieces you can pull out from interviews, like the Pumpkins or Nine Inch Nails or some of these bands. I've read hundreds of interviews, and you can like piece out and put together in your brain this picture of sort of what these recording sessions were like in 1993 for this particular mm -hmm. record. But man, it is nothing like what happens in that documentary. That thing is classic. It is so great. Yeah, it, it really is, and that's why it's easy to spend a couple hours just on that. Yeah, and, definitely. Um, and and cool. we got to do it. Yeah. But, um, yeah All right, man. man. Well, I'm looking let's, forward let's to it. This it. has been great.